Hi, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 15. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. But this is a very special episode because we've heard your requests. The band is back together for one night for a reunion show of the weekly horror movie podcast. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And I'm honored to introduce my elect team of horror critics for this episode. First, he is one of my regular co-hosts on Horror Movie Podcast. And in fact, of all my podcasting co-hosts, This man has agreed to join me on more podcasts than any other person, and I don't know why. But he hails from the Philadelphia suburbs. He's one of the most prolific film critics on the internet. And this mad scientist is the mastermind behind DVDinfatuation.com, where he's watching and writing reviews about 2,500 movies, which is a movie a day, every single day, for like seven years. And when this episode releases... He will have posted a review for movie number 1,349. And just to give you guys a little perspective so you appreciate this, the day we released the very first episode of the weekly horror movie podcast back in October of 2011, he was only on movie review number 440 when he reviewed Frankenhooker. (laughs) So that's what I'm talking about when I say prolific. And this host has the distinction of being one of the five co-hosts on Planet Macabre. He was also on Horror Jungle. And in addition to Horror Movie Podcast, he is currently a host on the Land of the Creeps Horror Podcast. And I personally like to refer to him as a filmic encyclopedia. He's a walking, talking internet movie database and a national treasure of film criticism. Welcome, Dr. Shock. Jay, I have no idea what to say (laughs) whatsoever. I thank you very much. I'm honored. Um, uh, it's always great to be here. Um, I was looking forward definitely uh, to this show. And um, yeah, thank you very much for the <laughs> great introduction. I just, I just hope I can, I can live up to it. Well, Dave, you know I love you. And you've even been on the Best Picture podcast with me. I mean, yeah, we've done right. so many of these together. And I appreciate you for being a good friend that way. Not a problem, sir. Anytime. All right. Well, after my stint as the host of the first 14 episodes of the weekly horror movie podcast, this next co-host tonight served as the new host of the weekly horror movie podcast from episode 15 to the show's very end in episode 26. But this host has been podcasting since 2005, and he's one of the veterans who got in on the ground level. He's been the host of Midnight Podcast, the original Zombie Podcast. He was also one of the eight hosts on Horror Jungle. And soon thereafter was the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast, of course. And then after that show, he launched The Electric Chair, which is a horror podcast that focused on industry interviews and reviews. And this show also has a video companion, and it's called The Electric Chair 2D. And these shows are now part of the Horror Podcasting Alliance in the Electric Chair 2D now broadcasts at spookshow.tv. And you can ask anybody who is familiar with him, which many people are. He is arguably, without question, one of the very best solo casters in the business. And so we welcome back the zombie king himself, Midnight Corey. Wow. 
Jay, that's uh, that was amazing, and uh, I hope somewhat accurate. Uh, but man, thank you. It's it's been so long, brother, and I just uh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm honored that you asked me to come back for a night and just uh, have a good time and talk about movies, man. Because I I miss this, and I've been just uh, bubbling over with anticipation here. I literally I, I didn't tell you I actually took a half a day off work. Uh, so that I could make sure I had all the movies watched. And, wow. you know, I, I'm just like, oh, I want to be prepared. I can't wait for this. <laughs> and uh, so I've, I've just been so excited. And uh, it's it's really an honor to be here with you guys again tonight after, uh, what is it, like like two years now since yeah. uh, we've all been together yeah. almost. We were trying to figure that out. And uh, it's it seems like it really hasn't been that long. It's flown by so quickly. But uh, this is good. This is good. So thank you. Thank you, Jay and, and uh, Doc and... The next gentleman you're going to introduce. <laughs> That's right. Well, real quick, Corey, what, what are your updates? What are you into now? I mean, I, I pulled a lot of this information from MidnightCorey.com, but I mean, I, I bet I missed some stuff. So can you tell the listeners what you're into? Uh, yeah, actually, um, right now, uh, the two main podcasts I'm involved in are uh, Evil Episodes, of course, with uh, Mike and Jamie. That's where we talk about TV horror and uh, some random horror odds and ends here and there, some games and the occasional movie. Uh, and also do a lot of sidecasts that are unrelated, but we just get together and have a good time. And um, I also do a podcast that's focused purely on metal music, and that is with uh, my friends Mike Zombie and New Jersey Nick called Devil Horns. And uh, we do interviews, we do reviews, a whole, whole lot of stuff. We've had some really big... Uh, big names uh, on the show. Um, and uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, right now, I just, you know, I recently, here in the past uh, month and a half, uh, had an addition to my family. So I've, I've had to take a little vacation, a little hiatus from podcasting because uh, I'm not really getting a whole lot of sleep, you know, and uh, <laughs> right. my time, it's just very erratic. Uh, so I'm on a bit of a hiatus from both of those shows right now and uh, by no means permanent whatsoever. I'm trying to get back as soon as I can. But uh Family first, it's all good, but uh, you know I love love to podcast, and there's no way that uh, that's going away. But uh, yeah, and then uh, that's uh, that's it, man. Well, there's not a whole lot of other stuff that you know, random stuff I get myself into, but that's uh, as far as podcasting and that. That's uh, what I got going on. Well, congratulations on all your excitement there. I mean, you've got a lot of good things going on, and I wanted to tell you, um, I I do follow. I keep up. At least somewhat with the midnightcory.com. I feel terrible that I forgot to mention evil <laughs> episodes in there, so I'm sorry to oh, our oh, friends sorry. over there. But um, I I really loved your cover that you did of of Africa. Oh yeah, I thought that, that was so cool. Like um, so if people go to midnightcory.com, he's got all kind of little surprises on there. Um, just neat stuff. So is that the Toto the Toto song? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> so that's very cool. Anyway, but thanks for being here, Corey. It's great to talk to you again. Thank you, Jay. And one last note for about Corey, just so the listeners know of Horror Movie Podcast, I want to thank him publicly once again for allowing us to repost the entire archive of the weekly Horror Movie Podcast onto our site. Um, that was very kind of him. So we have all 26 episodes there on HorrorMoviePodcast.com, and we're grateful to him for allowing us to do that. Yes. All right. So now our next host needs no introduction, but this is kind of what I do, so I can't help myself. He's another internet broadcasting veteran who's been doing this from just about the beginning, and he hails from Las Vegas. 
And back in 2006, he was a host on a horror broadcast called The Junk. And then in 2009, he was a host on The Horror Movie Show. And then in December 2010, he launched my all-time favorite horror podcast, Planet Macabre, which was followed by Horror Jungle. And then he was our co-host on the weekly horror movie podcast, of course, as well as Horror Metropolis. And that's back in the days of the Horror Palace Network, where he also had a video horror show called Grizzly Zone, as well as another audio show called Shocker. And now he is a horror DJ, and he is the solo host of a brand new internet audio broadcast called Horror on the Go. We welcome back the indie assaulter himself, Bill Shetty. <laughs> Dude, like your listeners gotta be sick of hearing about me, man. <laughs> like you mentioned it so much, but I appreciate it, Jay. <laughs> well, welcome back. I'm glad you're here. And um, you are actually, right now, you're broadcasting from a very interesting spot. Will you tell us um, where that is? I sure will. The remake of Piranha, the one that was in 3D with Elizabeth Shue, was on the beach in Lake Havasu. That's where I'm sitting right now. The beach is, I don't know, 50 feet in front of me, man. So it's really cool. I hope those little piranha don't come up and get me, man, because they start flying in that movie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> nice. Well, um, listeners out there, let's see. We had totally anticipated having Terror Tovey on the show tonight and he still may show up a little later on to say hi um but i just found out he is up to his neck in filmmaking he is currently shooting and he's running behind and so I, i'm very sorry on his behalf and on our behalf that he wasn't able to make it um in a in a formal capacity but he is presently living down in la he's pursuing his full-time filmmaking career and since he has left us Tara Toby has written and directed several music videos, short form documentaries, and even corporate promo videos. And so um, we're proud of him for that. And we sure do miss that guy. And so hopefully he'll jump on the show a little bit later on. And where's Wolfman Josh? Well, similar story. He is a filmmaker as well, as you all know. And so right now, He's uh, currently shooting a documentary, and so he was swamped and couldn't make it tonight either. But Josh says to send his regards to the fellow hosts here and the listeners. And of course, you're going to get more of him in future episodes of Horror Movie Podcast. So, but uh, for Doc, Corey, and Bill Shetty, I just want to thank you guys on behalf of the fans. And I want to thank you all for taking the time because as we record this, it's a Friday night. I know you guys are all really busy and stuff. And so I'm so glad you're here. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, here's how this episode's going to run tonight, you guys. We're going to follow the same format that we had back on Weekly Horror Movie Podcast, where four hosts will assign four different movies to one another, round-robin style. And so I was going to be the fifth wheel, but I'm going to just plug in to Terror Spot because I watched all four films, and I'm excited to be here for that. Um, and then, you know... At the end, after this show is over, I mean, we're going to do our reunion and then we're going to record some more at a later date. Not these guys, but my other buddies, One Sick Puppy and The Unknown Murderer. And so we're going to be bringing you a feature review of The Quiet Ones, which just hit theaters this weekend. And so you'll have that to listen to after this. So without further delay, let's jump into this special reunion episode of the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast. Hi, this is Greg Amortis of Land of the Creeps. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast. 
Now we're going to hear Tara Tovey's assignment for Midnight Corey. Stay tuned. <laughs> I love it. I love I love Greg and Morris. It's so awesome. He put the laugh in there. Yes. So Tara Tovey uh, assigned Midnight Corey a, a movie called Barbarian Sound Studio from 2013. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure why he picked this movie. I think it's because he knew that Corey was a sophisticated man, if I had to speculate, and an artistic <laughs> man. And so that, that's probably my guess on that. And so we're going to be talking about that here just momentarily. In your world, the sound awaits you. In your world, that requires all your magic powers. Crazy man. <laughs> I didn't quite know I'd be working on this sort of film. What did you expect? What's he doing to her? I've never worked on a horror film before. Horror film? This is a Santini film. Don't call my film horror again. This is going to be a fantastic film. Brutal and honest. All right. Well, Barbarian Sound Studio, Mild Man, and this is courtesy, by the way, of Amazon.com, because I think they had the best one. Um, mild-mannered sound engineer Gilderoy, played by Toby Jones, arrives in Rome to begin work on the soundtrack to a film called The Equestrian Vortex, a tale of witchcraft and murder set inside an all-girl riding academy. Before long, he finds himself entranced by the film's mysteriously terrifying allure, and the lines between reality and fantasy begin to blur. Now Gilderoy, his own mind, has become the battleground between his horrifying delusions and his desperate grasp on the real world. Tense, claustrophobic, and featuring a tour de force performance by Jones, Barbarian Sound Studio is an electrifying portrayal of a man's descent into the darkest pit of madness. <laughs> oh, nice. wow, wow, yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine, uh, Jay, I think you you uh, hit the nail on the head. Uh, I think uh, Terror probably uh, saw, he, he knows how much I, I like Argento movies and Giallo films and uh, that kind of thing, a lot of the Italian uh, movies of that era, and this was right right alongside i mean that uh, was what this movie was about it was about making uh one of these giallo films uh, from the 70s it was set in the 70s i believe mm -hmm. um and uh yeah yeah very cool but all set in this very very uh, claustrophobic location very enclosed very dark uh never saw the outside it's like they were in a cave the whole time so um <laughs> right but uh you, you uh, uh do you guys watch this um i, I did Yes. You did? I did not get a chance to, unfortunately. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm afraid so. I've seen it. Last yeah, year. I've seen it. So it's, um, yeah, it's very psychological and very weird. Um, I actually really dug it. Uh, I really did. It, I, it was very tense. Like, it was building. You know, you always felt like something was about to happen. Uh, I love the, uh, the the story of the movie that they're making because you never see a single frame of this story. Like pretty much the whole time, you know, they're doing the soundtrack to this film. So everybody in the film is watching this film the whole time, but we never get a single frame of it. And they're telling the whole story through um, the dialogue. You know, you hear some of the dialogue coming through. You hear the sound, uh, one of the sound engineers 
uh, descriptions of of the scene as he sets them up, you know, which are classic. Right. Um, that was arguably my my favorite part of the movie, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, and um, uh, just through, of course, the sound effects and everything. So you're visualizing this crazy giallo, tortured, <laughs> weird movie. You know, it's like an Argento Fulci kind of film, obviously, that was being made here. And uh, I really liked it. I did feel like it sort of got a little weird at the end. And it was, I think they sort of just lost control of where they were going with it at the end because, um, and it might've been me. Maybe Uh I didn't get something, but I just felt sort of lost at the end. And I appreciate what they did. And overall, I really, really enjoyed it. But I was confused at the end. I'm like, I, I really have no idea what is going on. Um, but it was a fun ride. I, I totally agree with what, what you said there. But but first, I want to back up and ask you something, Corey, because I, I really want to get your opinion on this. You're an analytical man. I think one of the re- most remarkable things about this is the fact that they chose not to show us footage from the film and so that was being made. And, and I just wonder... That is such an interesting choice. Why do you think they opted not to even show it? Um, well, it was all about sound, you know, it's, and it's all about telling stories through sound and audio. And uh, just uh, I, I think showing us visuals from this wouldn't have done justice to, um, again, uh, the dialogue and synopsis we were hearing and especially the sound effects. Mm-hmm. You know, all the cabbage and the fruit and the squash and everything that they're destroying, uh, which I totally <laughs> loved. Yes. Um, but I think it was that element. I think they really wanted to concentrate on uh, the horror of sound and how sound can tell a story, um, arguably even better than, than visuals. Uh, because I, I find myself, you know, the things that go on in my head are actually much more disturbing and and scary than a lot of times what I see on the screen. Uh, so I think I think that's what they're going for. You know, they know that uh, horror is psychological. It's what you know, what you're conjuring in your mind as you're experiencing the film. And um, so I think that's totally what they're going for. Yeah, I think you're 100 percent right on why they chose to do that. But I'll be honest with you. I mean, I. It was so interesting, the sounds and everything and the way that the film was kind of affecting, especially the Toby Jones character, his reactions to everything. And even the descriptions that we got, as you described, they were classic. I mean, I I was so curious to see this film. It made me really want to be able to watch the film itself. So I think that on one hand, it's like, okay, they were uh, faithful to their artistic i mean they had the courage or the guts to to carry out that artistic vision just to stick to the sound but honestly i think for a lot of horror fans i think that this particular film will be a little bit alienating because it doesn't really show you know the classic horror imagery like violence and gore and stuff oh yeah it's much more i think a a thriller than a straight up horror film or even a drama, um, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very psychological and it's, it's unsettling. It's very uncomfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I, uh, horror, I don't know. I, again, I was, I was anticipating, I think a lot more horror in it because there things about witches and some of the, um, I forget what the, uh, the female who originally was doing, uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the lines, and then uh, she was the one that was sexually uh, sort of uh, 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 compromised by one of the producers or whatever, you know. And so she she went away, and the next girl came in. But uh, I forget where I was going with her now. But 
Yeah, I totally lost my train of thought because I, I, I went off on uh, that other girl. But uh, what was I saying? What was <laughs> I saying about her? Yeah, I brought her up for some reason. But uh, no, I'm sorry. I totally lost my well, train I'll, of thought. Well, I'll edit. You can think about it. I'll, I'll, I'll edit it <laughs> no, so it's smoother. No, this is good. It's honest. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just tend to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, think about one thing and then start thinking about other things. No, you that, do the same thing. You do the same thing I do. I keep talking and hoping yeah. it'll come back. To me and then sometimes <laughs> it's just gone. It's like my my mouth and my brain just do a Y. That you was, know, at one point, and one goes one way, one goes the other way, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm lost. That was funny. Um, I was gonna. But, uh, well, I was gonna get it on here and say it's not even a horror film. It's a Santini film. Mm-hmm. You know, just to be funny, it's a joke from the movie and. Because the director gets really ticked when the Toby Jones character refers to it as a horror film. And he says, it's a Santini film. And, um, right. you know, and, and I think but because the sound is so effective and because the film is about the, the sound editing, I think this would be interesting for people who, number one, you know, either are into arty movies or arty films or people who like to watch the making of like the behind the scenes documentaries for horror films. Because I think it was absolutely fascinating just on that level to see what kinds of produce they would stab and pull apart and everything just to get those sound effects. Yeah. But, oh, me too. Yeah. I love that kind of thing. And uh, um, you know, especially um, when they're doing the scene with uh, uh, the underwater scene, I think they were doing a drowning scene, you know, and they had kind of two guys in on it. And the one guy, he was sort of squishing, I don't know what kind of produce they had they had some weird stuff that i couldn't identify but uh you know he, he was basically in front of this big tank of water and he was just like splashing around and sort of snapping this produce underwater and then another guy was there and he had a he had a straw and a glass of water and he was making the bubbling noises yeah and um it was just really really cool and uh, i'm so into that because i'm into uh, some uh some levels of film production and things and i've always really been interested in foley effects because that's uh that's such an art form and an underappreciated art form. Yeah, I think. Um, and uh, so that's uh, yeah, that's totally right. I know. I, I was actually surprised by their lack of meat that they didn't use more meat um, <laughs> in the sound effect. I'm, I'm serious, and it might just be a modern thing. Um, maybe they didn't do that back then. But I know I've seen a lot of makings of. Uh, a lot of like slasher films and a lot of gory films, and they'll show how they make the foley effects when they're stabbing, or you know, bones breaking, things like that. But it's a lot of it's a lot of like chickens and you know, ground beef and stuff to really get that that sort of wet muscle sort of sound yeah. to it. You know what I mean? And yeah, uh, this is all produce, which was interesting. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So well, let's pull in Bill Shetty here. Bill Shetty, weigh in. What what are your thoughts about this film? I think I know, but. Well, as usual, Corey's description's way better than the film was. <laughs> he does such a great job doing that. Yeah, you think I would be into this being a sound guy myself, and it is interesting on how they do sound effects. And um, I actually took a course on that way back. I think I was under twenty, if I'm not mistaken, doing Foley effects. But um, be honest, guys, like I skipped forward a lot of this movie. Like I just keep hitting 30 seconds advance because I was so tuned out. It did not interest me in the slightest. And this was supposed to be a really highly regarded film when it was getting released. But I couldn't do it. I couldn't it was, it was stand. Slow. Yeah. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was it was heart wrenchingly 
abysmal to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, this is one I know that Wolfman Josh really appreciated this film. And this is one that I'm sure Doc would love. And, and, and I really, I actually enjoyed watching it, but just because I love all sorts of genres. And so, like, yeah, for a horror movie fix, it doesn't necessarily give it to me. But, like, I tell you, it was entertaining to me. And I, and I agree with you, Bill Shetty. It is kind of a, it's a, a slower moving film. But, you know, it, it honestly looks fantastic. In, in terms of, like, the, the, the appearance of the film, I mean, like, the actual, like, what the cinematography, and I mean that literally, not just generally, like, it's gorgeous. It looks like you're looking at reality or something, and the sound is so good in the film, because that's the forte of the film, that this looks and sounds like something that would be nominated for, you know, Best Picture, as far as just the look of it. So, it's like Academy Award level. I don't think so. I mean, like Corey said, it's filmed in, what, one room. They're standing around most of the time, and you're looking at their facial reactions. I don't know how great (laughs) it could be, Jay. I think a lot of it was lighting, you know, to to get the... It was was a really spooky sort of atmosphere. And like I said, really claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. And they were going for that, you know, just one location. It's like... Like I said before, they could have been underground for all we knew because we never saw daylight in this whole film. But yeah. uh, so much of it was uh, was like high key lighting, uh, a lot of contrast, you know, especially uh, the the scenes where the power went out and they just had the candles going. I, I just really dug that. And um, just uh, I, I think a lot of it was uh, was lighting uh, close ups of expressions. And Bill, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. You know, it was, it was a lot of times just uh you know, an extreme close up on Toby Jones character and and his right. little reaction to something that, you know, somebody said or, or whatever that was uh, they were going for. And it's this movie, uh, I think, played on subtleties visually. Um, yes. And uh, but I think it was it, on a technical level, it was very, very well done. Um, and again, you know, getting towards the end of the movie, I mean, did you, do you, you know, Jay? Yes. Do you feel like. It came to a satisfying conclusion. No, I'm with what you said. I mean, I think that at about, I don't know, the 72 minute mark, <laughs> like it starts like shark jumping and it goes off the rails. And I think it goes from being, you know, a respectable art film to being pretentious, you know, yes. one of those pretentious art films. And it's kind of irritating. It's like, okay, why are they doing that? What are they trying to say? This is like a little too like, you know, so it really kind of started bugging me at that point. But up until that point, I was very pleased with it. But I totally agree with what you said there. So, I don't know. And and for listeners out there, this has, uh, I don't know, I'd say about, what, 40% of it is subtitled or 30 to 50%, somewhere in there. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so it's about halfway subtitled. You know, part of it's in Italian, just so people, you know, are aware of that. But, you know, since this is a witch movie that they're making in there, I guess the name of the film is the... uh, the Equestrian Vortex, <laughs> which is the film they're making. And it's a witch film. And and the sound of this film, like the things that were in it, as far as like the imagery that we heard described, that is what I was expecting the Lords of Salem to be. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did, I mean, did you feel that way? Did you think, oh, this makes me sad because it reminds me of what I was excited about for the Lords of Salem, and it wasn't. <laughs> uh, not until now. I didn't think of that, but you're exactly right. That's, yeah. uh, wow, that's a great point. Yeah. No, I, I just kept thinking back to, uh, you know, even even more, I think, Fulci 
than Argento. I mean, there were definitely a lot of Argento sort of things going on, but even Fulci because it was real, real gruesome. I think a lot of the things going on and, and Fulci especially had this, uh, had this passion for, uh, doing things to women, you know? And, yes. and, uh, so that's, uh, that's what I kept uh, being reminded of. Um, but, uh, I, I just have to throw a line out there because, you know, we've been talking a lot <laughs> about these descriptions mm-hmm. that the sound engineer would kind of throw out there. And one of my favorite is, uh, Teresa and Monica venture into the poultry tunnel underneath the Academy, unaware of the witch's putrid corpses. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, the I mean, poultry tunnel <laughs> under the academy. You know that. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's what we're dealing with here. And then <laughs> there are equally ridiculous <laughs> descriptions going on. I mean, over the top. And I, I I loved it. And like I said, I think that was uh, my favorite part of the film was just <laughs> enjoying those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, hang on real quick because Terror Toby's calling in. Hello. Hey, welcome. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, oh my so gosh, the gang! How are you guys? Good. How are you doing? Good. This is uh, this. Oh man, this does my heart good. Yeah, we was about to all fly out to L.A., man, and kick your ass for not showing up. No, I'm in Salt Lake. <laughs> you would have had to. Oh, you're back in Salt Lake now, man. Uh, for the I weekend. You was in L.A. Oh, all right. So first of all, my apologies. Uh, I I can't. I could list the things, but I can't even remember what I've done in the past two weeks. I just know I haven't slept much. And just been running around. So I hate that excuse of being too busy, but I really was like, I, I even, I tried, I told Jason, I tried last night at like midnight to start watching the movies as soon as I got home from shooting all day. And I was asleep in half an hour and I'm like, gosh, dang it. So I, I'm sorry guys, but I hope this isn't the last time we do this. Yes, sir. No worries. Well, man, yeah, it, it, it is happened. great to talk with you, man. It is. Absolutely. Wow. We've all missed you. So Tara, Toby, tell us what's going on in your life. Cause the listeners want to know too. I have, uh, since the last time I was on uh, the weekly horror movie podcast or horror metropolis, I have moved down to Hollywood. I live right down in the heart of it all. And I'm, uh, I'm pursuing writing, uh, directing and acting. And I, uh, I kind of tell people this, that I'm, I'll take any two of those three. So, <laughs> nice. but, but right now uh, I'm really, I'm really excited mostly about writing and directing, uh, because then I can create my own acting opportunities. So I've been down there. I've taken uh, a lot of improv uh, comedy classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade. I've met a lot of people that way. And so my network of people that are just like really excited to collaborate and write and shoot stuff has just grown to the point where this – I mean I moved down there in August. So I've only been down there, what, four, seven, almost eight months. And I, now I just – there's a ton – none, none of it's huge. None of it's enormous. But – in uh, eight months, I've built up a network of people that are, that want to use me as their director of photography or they want me to come direct things. And I recently shot a, uh, a short film in black and white and um, that we're submitting that to film festivals and it's gotten a really, really good response. And that's created a few more opportunities. So, and I'm running a couple TV pilots that hopefully we'll get to pitch in the next month or two because I'm meeting, I have some friends that are have agents and managers that want to set up meetings. And so it's very, very exciting. Nothing big yet, but I'm on the right track, so it's awesome. I'm really excited about it. Well done. Congratulations. Right. Yeah, congrats, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. That's awesome. I, wow. I'm not nobody's paying me for any of that yet. I mean, not much. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm sharing uh, I'm sharing a, a two hundred and fifty square foot studio <laughs> with my girlfriend and I'm barely <laughs> making my rent. <laughs> well, one day when you're rich you'll just look back and laugh at that. So there you go. 
Yes. Hey, I'm laughing now, man. Yeah. How's everybody <laughs> else doing? I, I'm sorry, I, I, this isn't the time to catch up with everybody else because uh, <laughs> they. So yeah, great to be back. I'm excited to be talking to y'all. I really wish I could have uh, watched the movies, but didn't happen. I started to watch. What was the one I recommended for you? I'm trying to look it up now. Barbarian Sound Studio. Barbarian. I keep on. I kept on saying Bavarian when I was trying to talk. Well, to that you. would have put you to sleep anyway, Terror Man. So. No, well, that's what it did put me to sleep, but that's because I was I was legitimate. <laughs> but it's, it was beautiful. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Back to you, Jason. <laughs> no, that's all. We just we just wondered what was happening with you, and the listeners have been asking about you. They do. They miss you. I'm serious. They really. You made an impression on them, and they want to hear from you again. So we'll definitely have you back. I know that you're swamped right now, but it's very flattering. So, all right, brother. Well, we appreciate your time. You're welcome to hang out with us as we continue yeah, to talk, or can, what? Can I can I listen in for a little while? <laughs> sure. Please Absolutely. do. You can even chime in as much as you want. Yeah, well, I might. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love to. Okay, so we were in the middle of talking about uh, Barbarian Sound Studio, in fact, and I was getting ready to ask uh, Corey and Bill Shetty, who have seen it, if they thought the film was self-referential, because it seems like one of the points of the film is to show how uh, turbulent and not flashy or not glorious. What's that word I'm looking for? That's not, um, you know, it's not as fancy as Humble. you think. Yeah, not mm. not as fancy. Mm. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Um, what's that word? It's not as glamorous. Yeah, it, so. yeah, yeah. Something like that. It's that yeah. it's not as glamorous as you might think to make a a horror film. And so I wondered if because there's a line in there about how they say the director really wants to show what happens to these witches and how they were interrogated. And he said, he said, I just want to show the truth. I want to show what what it's really like. And so I wondered if he if it was kind of self-referential a little bit, showing how unglamorous it really can be to make a a horror film, and and how just much work it is and hard stuff. I mean, do you, do you think that was in there or not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, because that's that's what I was thinking the whole time is just how I mean it's a very dysfunctional operation, and I don't know if it was just specific to this, but you know the whole thing, you know, everyone it is such high tension. And everyone just got angry and they were just yelling at the drop of a hat. Yeah. You know, and, and right. even down to, you know, paying these expenses, you know, the flight expenses. It's sort of a, an ongoing thing throughout the movie. And and uh, the secretary who is, you know, less than cooperative. <laughs> yes. You know, and and, um, you know, so I think so. I think it's just uh, I, I think you're right. It, it's just showing the, the very this is a uh, these are just very uh, damaged people, you know, or, or very imperfect people, uh, you know, trying to put something together and they all, oh man, they're all, uh, you know, what the Santini is, uh, you know, sleeping with everybody, you know, everyone's sleeping with everybody and all the, the actresses and the, the voice talent and everything. And, mm -hmm. and no one's getting paid if you ever see your money, you know, and whatever it, it's, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Now, you see, know, I've heard a lot of horror stories like this from the industry itself, and not just the horror industry, but particularly in the horror industry. I've heard that there have been like unpleasant shoots and stuff. I mean, I'm sure there are the, those that, you know, the actors describe where everybody was just really a team and blah, blah, blah. But I think more often than not, there's a lot of negativity. And I'm going to float kind of a controversial thing here because that's kind of what I do. But, um, do you guys think that it's it's this submersion 
and and darkness and awfulness and negativity that kind of seeps into the people because I felt like the darkness of the film itself was affecting Toby Jones. And and it's just like, you know, too much of anything can really get to you, like too much sugar or whatever. So I wonder if like that horror environment, always thinking and focusing on evil affects them that way. Yeah, it it clearly affected him. Yeah, I just wonder because they they keep showing a shot that's like this pile, this barrel or whatever of rotting, disgusting, festering, grotesque produce. And and I I'm like, what is that all about? What is that all about? And then I just started thinking, well, maybe it's the negative effects that this kind of um f- focus is having on these people. I don't know. I I bet I bet Bill Shetty probably disagrees with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been on a few horror sets and um I'm sure it does happen because the lead character there didn't work on horror films before. Am I mistaken there or am I right, guys? You're right. Oh, no, Toby. Yeah, yeah, Toby. He was actually very surprised and very taken by the content. So, yeah, yeah, I could see him falling down a trap. But typically in horror, most of the time, they know what they're doing. And I don't think that comes into play, Jay. Yeah. Well, and that's a good – I like the way you said that because – there are some people like in the beginning of the film when his regular staff shows up, they're goofing off and making jokes. So, yeah, maybe it doesn't get under their skin, but it definitely affects the Toby Jones character for sure. Absolutely. What about you, Tara Toby? When now that you're in the business and stuff, is it usually pretty um, stressful when you're working on something with these other people or are you guys are you a well-oiled team? Oh, geez. I don't, I don't know if I can answer that. Um <laughs> You know what? The the one thing I can say that I have observed in terms of like, I don't know if the content of 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 the production um, carries over. I think the type of the type of people, but but pe- typically uh, people that are shooting uh, a genre like that, a strong genre like horror or sci fi, are very passionate about it. So I think it'd be hard for them to be upset at what they're doing because they're they're. They're they're stoked, you know. It's like it's like nerds in a comic book shop, you know. Like right. it's just like they're in their element, so it's hard to get mad or be, you know. People are excited, and then the only other thing I've seen is as people work together for a long time, um, either it creates a really negative dynamic. There's certain like the set of, uh, for instance, there's horror stories about the set of the TV show Community, where like people, you know, production assistants and extras and people working on that show are just like, I will pay to not have to work on that show because the vibe on the show is super duper negative. It's kind of hell on earth. Whereas then I, 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 I did some extra work on another TV show where they're in their third season and everything's running smoothly and they're having a good time. And uh, so I think it can go in either direction kind of, but, uh, but then again, you watch a show like community, which is complete comedy. And I don't think anybody watching that would, would ever guess that, that it's, that it's a nightmare to work on that set, you know? Yeah. And you, and I think, uh, yeah. So I guess you'd probably be surprised. It really has to do with interpersonal dynamics. And I think most horror uh, sets, you know, People are love what they're do, you know, and and you get to have that those moments where you're like, even the stuff I've shot, when you pull off a cool effect or you cool pull off a, a really amazing shot that you wanted to get or something looks cool, it's like everyone gathers around the monitor and it's like, oh, you know, like, so it really is like you know teenage boys kind of being like cool, you know, like, uh, so I imagine that's probably the predominant feeling is these people are working in a genre uh, that they are really passionate about, so it's probably way more fun than it is uh, dark. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Uh, see, I knew you'd have some great insights, even though you haven't even seen the film. 
Well done, brother. (laughs) I think it's important, too, to remember that this is a snapshot of a certain era Mm -hmm. in uh, filmmaking history. You know, we're looking at Italy in the 70s. Giallo is really, really big. Um, A lot of people are cashing in, and I see this as sort of, you know, almost a cash-in. You know, obviously, you know, Santini and everyone, they're really passionate about making this film. You know, even they were saying, you know, this, this is not horror. You know, this is something that people have never seen before. You know, don't you dare call this horror again. Um, you know, and I think there was a whole different dynamic in that culture, in that setting, in that time um, than it is now. Yeah. And I think it's a great snapshot. You know, something I'm sure tension was high. I'm sure, you know, budgets were being stretched. And uh, it was just a really weird dynamic. And, you know, especially here, there was uh, this was a very dysfunctional uh, atmosphere, you know, mm-hmm. a very dysfunctional uh, thing that uh, was going on here. And everyone, there were problems abounding and, uh, you know, but uh, I think, again, a great, uh, great snapshot of of uh, something that not many people even uh, see nor think about a lot of times is the audio post-production in films. And, <laughs> right. and uh, because, I mean, literally, you know, even like I said, Foley is, I think, so, so underappreciated and, you know, uh, Going to this whole process of audio production, you know, post audio, it's um, most people don't even realize that this much goes into it. And um, so, yeah, yeah, nice, uh, very cool. Usually, that much doesn't, though, Corey, nowadays. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it did back then, but now it's right. it's much, much different, I'm sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all digital now. So. Yeah, well, yeah. W- one last little trivia before we wrap up with our ratings here. The um, as the film opens, there's an opening like title sequence with the credits and stuff. There's this red and black animation. It's really simple, but it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind of nice. And and I guess I read in the trivia that that those opening those opening credits are actually put together for the Equestrian Vortex, which is the fictional horror movie that's being made, you know, in this movie. So it's actually for that film. So I guess in a way, we get to see a little bit of that film but <laughs> nothing to speak of and and i would have I, I i would have liked this film better i think had we seen some images but okay so let's wrap up then with our ratings um cory what are your final thoughts and your rating for uh berberian sound studio well final thoughts i knew nothing about it going into it and uh i really enjoyed the movie as an experience um Again, I think it was uh, very well done technically. It was beautiful. I love the audio. So much of it, again, reminded me of uh, the sort of things that I see and hear in Argento and Fulci films. And it was really, really cool. Um, I love the process, just uh, you know, going through sound effects and Foley effects and seeing that whole process. Seeing tape, seeing reel-to-reel things going on, it, it just, just really, really cool. And uh, makes me sort of sad that we're... We're basically out of that era, and we don't see any of those things hardly at all anymore. But um, all in all, as, as a film goes, you know, it's um, a disappointing sort of, of strange ending. And maybe I have to watch it again. I might give it a I, I'm actually looking forward to see it again. Um, and I definitely will, um, because I'm hoping I just miss something. Maybe something will tie it all together and I'll understand the ending. But from what you guys have said and from what I've been reading no, the ending was was kind of a mess, but uh, that that doesn't uh, really take anything away from how much I enjoyed the film as a whole. So, a uh, great film, I recommend it. I think uh, people should see it not as much as a horror film, like you're going to be scared, like you're going to be hiding 
hiding behind the couch and just peeking out, you know, nothing like that. But mm-hmm. it's very tense and very, very atmospheric and I think a fun ride. Okay. So if you had to put a number on it, what would you, what would you uh, do? What do we do out of 10? Yes, sir. I forget yep. all these years. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. I'll give it, uh, I'll give it a seven, seven out of 10. Okay. So you, so you tell people to rent it then? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Okay. Yeah, and just so the listeners know, this is currently streaming on Netflix Watch Instantly as we record this. And um, yeah, for me, I'll just say it's extremely well made. It's clearly an art film in terms of like the quality of it, like the technical prowess. It's beautiful. And I still think it looks like Oscar contender type of filmmaking. But aside from that, and I think for like behind the scenes stuff. You know, like, you know, if you're interested in the making of like horror films, you know, I think it'd be interesting that way. But, you know, in terms of story, I think it's largely like pointless. Honestly, the story is very small and the quote Bill Shetty, like <laughs> nothing happens, like really not that much happens in it. And and I'll be honest, toward the end, like the last, I don't know, 45 minutes, I was checking the time a lot. I was really into it at the beginning. And then when I saw it wasn't really going to go anywhere. I was really bored. So, it. I mean, if you're looking at this, if you're looking for a horror film, you know, this This isn't it. I mean, aside from horror sound effects, which are all done with produce and, and horror-related dialogue, I mean, for me, it's a 3.5 and it's an avoid for a horror film. If I were reviewing this on Movie Podcast Weekly, you know, I might give it around a 5.5 or a 6, but for horror, it's an avoid. What do you give it, Bill Shetty? Yeah, Jay, you keep mentioning my name when you say nothing happens. You need to listen to your previous podcast, brother, because you say that an awful lot nowadays, too, buddy. <laughs> I'm serious, but uh, nothing happens. <laughs> I know he does. Listen to yourself, Jay. You say it all the time. I, know, Josh um, I think mad. for your audience. Yeah, I think your audience might enjoy it. The listeners that you have because they appreciate filmmaking more. But I think you're playing this up way too much, Jay. No Oscar worthy. I mean, it looks good. Looks great in some spots, but it's set in one room. The coloring's great. It's an avoid four, buddy. A four and avoid it. Hmm. You gave it a higher rating than I did. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, but and I'm not you're saying it, it up. No, I'm not saying it would win an Oscar. I'm just saying it looks on the caliber of the films that are nominated for like best picture as far as like the look of it. I think it really looks beautiful as far as that goes. Do you disagree? Uh, I don't know about that. What was up for Oscar for looks? For gravity, for cinematography, yeah, gravity was one, but but no, for best picture, like American and Hustle. You think that compared to Gravity, buddy? Well, for example, like American Hustle, like this looks as good as American Hustle looked, and that was nominated for best picture. Not that that's a horror flick, but I'm just saying it looks good. So for me, it was. For you, it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a boring movie. To be That's honest, neither but. here nor there. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, so we'll keep on trucking here. Um, I'm really excited to bring you this next little clip. Hey, this is Boss Butcher, host of the Terror Troop podcast. We're sending good vibes worldwide. And to all of you listening to Horror Movie Podcast, now we're going to hear the Encyclopedia of Movie Knowledge, Dr. Shock's Assignment for the one and only Bill Shetty. Good <laughs> <laughs> old boss. Great guy. All right. Yeah, he is definitely. Yeah. 
Okay, my assignment for Bill Shetty was uh, going back to the classics, 1933, I believe, The Invisible Man Mm -hmm. uh, with Claude Rains, directed by James Whale. Um, The main reason I picked this is I'm finding myself just, you know, I always go back to these these old classic movies and watch them on a regular basis uh, whenever I can. And I'm actually finding myself... Uh, sort of drifting towards this one a little more than even some of the other ones that I had watched so much over the years, um, just because of um, <laughs> the effects in the movie, I think are, are outstanding for for 1933. Uh, and I think Claude Rains, just the way he plays the character, I think brings a lot to the movie. Um, I know there will be things in this that Bill Shady would definitely have a problem with too. Some of it I have a problem with as well. But uh, I just really wanted to discuss this, you know, go over it with him. And I was afraid that if I picked Nosferatu, something would happen and we, he wouldn't be able to be on the show because we could never <laughs> seem to discuss that movie. So I figured, okay, let's go with The Invisible Man. Only you leave me alone. It's the stranger with the bubbles. He's gone mad. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. <laughs> All right, 1933, going back, what's that, 80 years, Doc. Good choice, man. I haven't seen this since I was, I don't know, under teen years, man. But uh, a scientist basically formulates a concoction that turns him invisible. Now, he heads out. And um, finds this little, I'm going to say like bed and breakfast place, a little inn back in the day. And wants to do research on the find the cure, basically, to turns him back to normal. And during this, he turns into an insane creature when they want to kick him out of this place because he ran out of money. And he goes on a little murderous spree, I want to say. Now, Doc, I didn't remember too much about this. Of course, you remember the bandages and when he Mm -hmm. takes them off, the look of what he looked like. The first thing I noticed that annoyed me in this film, Doc, I got to say, was that the owner's wife. Oh, my God, I couldn't stand (laughs) her character (laughs) and the overacting. What She is nails on a chalkboard for me, Uno O'Connor. And James Whale loved her. James Whale loved her. He, you know, she was in Bride of Frankenstein after this. And she did pretty much the same thing in that one. Not quite to the level, I think, that she did in The Invisible Man. But she was nails on a chalkboard for me. and, And I agree with you. And I don't think they could have easily done it with just sort of putting a regular... Um, uh, owner there, but James yeah. Whale loved her, and I'll tell you what she's 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 on the same level. And I just watched this again recently as Friday the Thirteenth Part Five as as uh, as that woman and her son. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that bad. <laughs> You're telling about how uh, you know James Whale loved her and everything. You know who else loved her, and pretty much that it was the biggest positive about the film. H.G. Wells cited her as his uh, pretty much his favorite part of the film. You know, wow. he had a lot of criticisms for this. Wow. You know, he wasn't necessarily a big fan of how they interpreted his book, but uh-huh. uh, he did cite <laughs> the uh, the innkeeper's wife as one of his uh, favorite parts of the film and something that they did do right. So I didn't know that's, that. That's, that's amazing. That's, uh, yeah. That is amazing. 
<laughs> anyway, she's go, I'm definitely sorry. taking this down a point at least. I deducted mm-hmm. Doc off okay, this film no. because of her because she was sure. prominent in the beginning of the movie. There, uh, she was, and I really wanted. It's funny because I watched this with uh, about two months ago or so. I watched this with with my oldest son, and uh, he must have said, "Oh, shut up!" at least ten times <laughs> <laughs> whenever she whenever she was on. You're wishing she would have been thrown down the steps instead of her husband. I would have. I, I think everybody was sort of wishing that that the Invisible Man would have just grabbed a knife and just thrown it or something at her, and then just taken her out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Go you ahead. know what I did. Yeah, you know what I did, Doc, in this? You know the first part when they walk in on him and you see that he's missing like a mouth? I actually paused and rewind that a couple times. And Mm -hmm. I think it was just a black, like, uh, ski mask over his face. But it was Mm -hmm. hard to distinguish, even in slow motion and pausing, what was going on there. I mean, it was pretty credibly done back then. Yeah, and that's what really got me, that this was a movie in 1933, that was able to carry it off. And even when things are moving, you know how sometimes, like if you'd watch in the 50s, you could tell it's on a string because it's bouncing a little bit. There mm-hmm. were times in this where things were gliding very smoothly. That yeah. I, it's not like it was, I mean, obviously it probably was on a string, but it wasn't as obvious yeah. as it well, would have been in another movie. were obvious though, Doc. So, well, some, I, I, some were, but, you know, but even something like walking and then falling in the snow. Oh, the impressions in the snow were brilliant. Yeah. You know, all of those I, things, I, even laying down on the bed, you know, seeing the sheets mm-hmm. sort of form the impression. I mean, absolutely brilliant. For 33? Yeah. You've got to be kidding me. In the, I couldn't uh, pull those off now. In the floating books, like there, there's a scene where the books kind of float and they don't just go straight up, right? They kind of float at an angle, like a diagonal angle. And it and it looks, they don't wobble or anything. It looks like some an invisible person is actually lifting those books. Yeah, and, and uh, I watched it just today, and uh, I, I've noticed something that I never noticed before. You're talking about the realism of these sort of invisible movements. And um, when he's getting into the car, the invisible man is getting into this car, the door does, it, it d- doesn't shut once. He actually, it sort of bounces open, and he has to kind of shut it twice, you know, like it didn't catch the first time, and so he <laughs> uh-huh. had to sort of, and it's just little subtle things like that. I'm like, right. oh, my God, it's amazing. It's like a real person was trying to shut this door. They didn't get it the first time, and they had to make it work the second. I mean, it was it was <laughs> really cool, and I, I caught things like that. And that's I, I, I've seen this movie countless times over the years. And, you know, every time I see it, I tend to notice things like that yeah. and just the brilliance, the brilliance behind it. Just a technical genius film for this era. Uh, that's what really blows me away about it is, is, is what they were able to achieve, you know, for, for when it was made. Um, and then, of course, I mean, and I guess, Bill Shady, I, I, we were, inter- we're interrupting your, your synopsis here. Um, but then, oh, of course, right. you, you got Claude Rains. And, and even though you don't see him, it's, it's such a, a chilling performance in a lot of ways when you listen to what he's saying, you know, and how crazy he is. You know, I'll commit a few murders. I'll kill a few important men and a few simple men, you know, just to show them that I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not choosing sides and and maybe crash a train or two and um you know just how <laughs> how insane he is and and how you really can this guy you really are afraid i mean you know when the police are are, are trying to they want to talk about him they're running things all through the room to make sure he's not there 
because yeah. you don't right. know. Like he's I love that net. A yeah. literal drag right. net. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And and just the things they do and, and the way that the guy's, you know, he, he's he's got that one guy afraid of him and there's it's very difficult to defend against that. You have all these people out looking for him and he pushes one guy off a cliff. Two guys. Just, yeah, actually. Yeah, two yeah. guys, right. Just just for the hell of it, <laughs> boom, throws him over a cliff. And he swings that one guy around by the feet at yes. that one point. <laughs> he must be like amazing. How'd they do that? He's you seriously. Know, again. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, anyway. you wanted to say just in, in the movie, you're like, leave the guy alone. You guys don't know what you're doing because you could see him start to turn when he was trying to figure out the concoction to come back. Yes. Man, you're like, leave the guy alone. And I can see this be brutally creepy back in the 30s. Oh, yeah. Man. I think this could really get a lot of people because, you know what? People probably leaving the leaving the theater saying, whoa, you know, because this is <laughs> know, this is this is not somebody you want to cross. You know, and, exactly. and that happened with his friend and even with and we don't want to obviously go into too many spoilers, but there's a scene where he has somebody where they want him. And, you know, this guy's pleading for his life and he starts telling him, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go over the cliff and uh, the car will tumble and you'll probably break an arm and then you'll break your neck. And he's like, goodbye. I always I always knew you were a coward. Now you're I know you're a sniveling rat, too. You know, it's just this guy was so uh, intense. And, and so vicious yeah. in a lot of ways. And I think Claude Rains, even you never see him, but it's a really incredible performance. Except for the very end where he's pretty except much dead. The, yeah. Except for the very, very end is when you finally see him, but you never, it doesn't matter because he's such a, he's such yeah. a strong presence, you know, for somebody you never see, he's, he's commanding this entire movie. I just want to appreciate the performance that he gave there because Number one, you can't emote, you know, without having your facial expressions visible there. So there's that. So he had to do everything with his voice, which I guess is one of the reasons why they cast him, because he was very um, articulate and clearly in- spoken. Interest- interestingly enough, they wanted Karloff for this, and he yeah. passed on it. Right. <laughs> yeah, and he passed on thing. it. Yeah. Because, yep. and plus, he didn't, he wanted to be shown. He didn't want to be in a, a picture where he was not shown, right? So That's possible, too. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but you know what? I think it probably worked out for the best, as much as I'm a Boris Karloff fan. Yeah. I think in this case, it definitely worked out for the best. Well, the other thing that's amazing about this, though, is uh, if you think about it, I mean, if, if, if you peg like when sound came to cinema around 1927, you know, by the time they filmed this, it had only been five or six years that they were doing uh, sound and film. And so he's given a performance of this level. I mean, I remember when uh, V for Vendetta came out, you guys, and everybody was like praising Hugo Weaving for what he what he did with his performance without even being able to em- emote. But this is mm-hmm. way back in like the 30s, and I think that's the very 30s. impressive. And and you know exactly because he's probably not even sitting there <laughs> half the time. You know, he's probably right. not even sitting there with with them at uh, when he's giving his performance. Um, and even some of just uh, some of the things they did. And now this was what was considered pre-code. Uh, for Hollywood, yes. there was a, there was that 1930 to 34, and it's a bit of a misnomer because there was a code. Hollywood ignored it because there was <laughs> nobody really to enforce it. So Hollywood, you know, after the scandals with Fatty Arbuckle and all that, and put this code out there, and basically the studios didn't have to. They they basically set the system up to say, okay, we have this code, and we're going to patrol ourselves. 
and then ignored it. And they gave the person, Will Hayes, who was enforcing it, no power whatsoever to actually change the movies. So this is during that period where they could get away with a lot more. I mean, when he runs outside, he topples over a baby carriage. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Uh, you know, the, 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 he just topples over baby cats, and, and then there's when, a baby that, in when, it, and there's a baby in it, right? <laughs> and there's a scene where the cop is on the ground. That guy got hit in the head with that. You could tell he was hit. Yeah, yes. um, that that yes. actor got hit with what well, I don't know was it a bench or whatever, a chair, whatever it was. He got hit with that and pretty hard. <laughs> you know, and he killed him doing that. Yeah, bashed absolutely. his head in, and he even says it in the dialogue. I bashed his head in, or something like that. And now uh, right. that's pretty strong for that era. Absolutely. And how Didn't he want to see the baby show, Doc? Well, yeah, I, I don't know if they could have gone quite that far with it, you know, or if they even would have. But, but I was saying when that when he was in there later on, and he hit that policeman, that guy really got hit. I mean, you could tell he was hit hard with that prop. Correct. Mm-hmm. But while we're all gushing over this, let's spend some time on some of the negative aspects of it, some of the things I picked out. Of course, we got the uh, the innkeeper that I said first. Second is there was the one, I, I don't know if he was the sheriff or the captain, and it was the time when there was a lot of plays and theater and stuff, but that guy really, his facial expressions overacted to me, the guy with the mustache. I think he was the captain, right, Doc? Was he the one who got killed? Yes. At the, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think that was a little bit more normal back then, especially if they were coming out of the silent right. era when everybody overacted. But I can see what you're but saying. He was older, did, too. Though. No, you're right. Yeah, but, some of them did not. Right. Okay. And the other part, I with the when he was actual invisible, now it probably wasn't cheesy back then, but re-watching it now, I thought it was kind of cheesy, was the one scene – where he was invisible, but he just had the uh, shirt and the pants on. And they like how the uh, camera work was done. Like you didn't see his head. It was like cut off there. And you could tell like he was jumping up and down like on puppet strings. I assume he probably was a puppet. Somebody mm-hmm. was doing that. I thought probably. that was a little weak. But for like I said, for the time. But I just want to let the audience know there is some cheesy looking parts in this that you can Hell, it's obviously not an invisible man. And Doc, did you think it ended a little soon? Did you see like 20 more minutes there could have been of this movie? I think, well, yeah, there, there definitely could have been. And it, uh, yeah, I guess maybe a little bit abrupt, maybe because I wanted there to be more of it, you know, because I was really yeah, in this maybe. movie. And I would have liked right. to have seen them take it a little bit more. I could see what you're saying. Um, mm. But I, I still, I mean, I still liked, the, I still liked the ending. Um, and I liked the way that they had they had put it together and how they eventually found them. Oh, yeah. And I liked the transformation, too, when he went from invisible to showing him. That they was didn't, pretty cool. They, they didn't just yeah. fade him in. They built him. Yes. Yeah. You know, that and was I, awesome. that's yeah. like way better than the Wolfman was done. You mm-hmm. know what I, I mean? I agree. Yeah, yep, I yeah. agree. And then Wolfman was like eight, eight, what, eight, nine years later. Yeah. 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 This is only uh, 71 minutes long. It's a short. Right. Film. Relatively, it is. But I would have liked to have seen it be longer, just because I liked. It. There was something about the character, even though you're not meant to like him, and you, you know, you don't. But there's just something so magnetic about the performance he was given, you know. And then he does what he he. This is a guy who's going to do what he said. I mean, he he goes after a train at one point, you know, and <laughs> yes. he's just causing he's just causing chaos to cause chaos. 
Well, I think what it is, I think it's a very universal character. I mean, who uh-huh. hasn't dreamt and fantasized about what would I do if I was invisible? I mean, where would I go? Right I mean, seriously, everybody, yep. even back then. And uh-huh. I think that was sort of a, 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 a just a, a visualization of uh, this fantasy. You know, everyone was just sort of playing yep. on this and uh, it was so universal. So and I love I think that that's double. so much of the enjoyment double entendre there he is a universal character i thought you were referring to the studio that's awesome oh well that, that <laughs> well, worked too yeah. well done. that works too right yeah but it's all and it's all he's almost like if we we're to draw mono equivalent almost like the joker in a lot of ways from from um the right, dark knight right. where yeah you know where where alfred had said you know some like uh, the some people just want to watch the world burn they're not doing it for a purpose they they just want to cause chaos that's it when you have that sort of freedom when you're that liberated and can do anything, uh, you know, the worst is probably going to come out, uh-huh. you know, and that's that's a sad truth. And uh, that's exploring it and also letting us at the same time sort of revel in that and experience that ourselves because right. that's what we fantasize about, too. So, uh-huh. Good stuff. Absolutely. Well, that's a great choice, Doc. It really is. I'm glad you picked this. And, you know, that's one of my criticisms since we're talking about um, critiques here. I think that one problem with this film is that they they always say they make I mean they really belabor the point over and over that you know this this concoction that he made to make himself invisible you know kind of deteriorates his mind and sends him into madness makes him nutty and crazy well the, the, you know they spend so much time saying that that he's mad and even he says he's mad and stuff like that, that, that like that they don't really spend enough time showing. And in the cinema, you know, we're supposed to show, yeah. not tell. And they're like, it's like, okay, quit telling me he's crazy and show me him do more crazy things. So you're, you're showing, not telling. They did. I mean, I they did get to that. I think they got yeah. to that eventually. But how many times did you hear a peripheral character well, say, he's mad, he's crazy. Well, sure, and it's like, they, it's like, they, we know, we know, you know, I just felt like they were trying to drive that home. I never felt that too much, Jay, to be honest. And if they would have left the guy alone, he could have came up with the damn cure. Well, he ruined he ruined this nice this he ruined the nice little room that she had set up upstairs with all his chemicals and lab stuff. And so ah, that just didn't didn't happen. No. Yeah, I mean you could see this guy turning it's like, leave the guy alone. He told you, don't come in his room. They walk in, give him a towel or coffee or something. It's like, <laughs> let the guy work and figure out what's going on because maybe he wouldn't have turned mad. You know what I mean, Doc? We never even yeah, explored. He, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't mad at the very beginning there. He was right. like, I got to turn back. I got to figure out a way to get myself exactly. back. And then it got to the point where they just bothered him. And he's like, you know what? I think I'm the way I want to be. And I'm not going to go back. And at that point, he just snapped. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were the catalyst that sort of launched him into that madness. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and by the way, I don't know if you noticed it, Bill Shetty, but when when um, the the guy, the husband, had, had was thrown down the steps and he's laying there and the wife is like screaming and everything. Oh. The, the husband said, shut up, even though he was injured. I got the feeling. <laughs> I always had the feeling that was the actor telling the other actor to shut up because she was screaming in his ear. You know? I didn't think of that, but that's good. I always got that feeling that the actor was just like, well, you shut up. You're, you know, you're screaming in my ear. 
God, she is the most annoying person I think I've ever seen on film, or one of them by far. Oh, and I found I watched I watched this and I watched like I said Friday Thirteenth Part Five, and I think what it is is that what really really irks me is when there are over the top comedic performances in movies that are not a comedy. That really mm-hmm. gets under my skin. And like Uno O'Connor did, the Friday the 13th Part 5 did, and some other movies that are not like some dramas and stuff where they throw that in there. Comedies, yeah, they can do that all day long and I, I, it's not going to bother me. But when it's not a comedy and they put these over-the-top comedic performances in there because it's almost like – Look at me and laugh. Like they're trying to say, hey, look, I'm the funny one here. Laugh at me. And it's just, it grates on me like to no end. Right. And, and well, she that's does. interesting, Doc. So you and, think they did that on purpose? You I th- think well, they, really? I, think, well, I don't know that they did it on purpose in, in this movie. I think in Friday the 13th Part 5, they absolutely did it on purpose. Oh, on yeah, absolutely on that. I don't know that they did it on purpose with this. I think this is something that James Whale just kind of, saw her, let her loose, and let her do this, and loved her. I mean, he just really thought she was the greatest thing. That's why he brought her back for – he made a role for her in Bride of Frankenstein. She's the- you know, where she she did the same thing as she did in this movie. Not quite as bad, though. I don't think she was as bad in Bride of Frankenstein as she was in The Invisible Man. She's the Jar Jar Banks of this movie. Oh. Yes, yes. Right. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Man, she didn't ruin this movie. Well, that's true. Okay. She didn't taint an entire franchise. Well said. Okay, so do you guys have final thoughts and then ratings on The Invisible Man? And before I, before we go there, though, um, Tara Toby, have you seen this before? I have not. Okay, if you were invisible, what would you do right now? <laughs> See that, that's that it's that's an interesting dilemma. Like I, I when you guys were talking about that, I was thinking of a uh, this American Life uh, podcast. One of my favorite episodes. They talk about uh, when you ask people would they rather be invisible or be able to fly. Like it's this deep kind of like psychological profiling type question because the kind of people that uh, would want to be invisible, it's almost always for a negative reason. It's yeah. so they can spy or steal or, you know, yeah, so eavesdrop and do things. And it's it's like this underhanded, like, people, the reasons they would want to be invisible are all negative. There's no positive reason to choose if, if you were given a choice, right? And that's the kind of question I'm putting out there is, like, if you could choose invisibility, the purpose would always be something negative, you know, whereas if you choose yeah. to fly, it's almost always – you know, heroic and transcendent and like, you know, freeing and liberating and stuff. But anyway, yeah. So I can't, I can't think of anything. Uh, I would probably go, uh, I'd probably go punch a bunch of cops. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'd go, you know, I'd, 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 I'd cause mayhem for like the, like the authoritarian type institutions and people that make my life a nightmare, a little bit of payback. So meter maids, parking enforcement, police officers. I think it'd be very dissatisfying to be invisible, to be honest with you. Now, if you take a movie like Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon, he had the freedom to come and go, correct in that, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. So that would be a little bit different of a scenario. And this one, he couldn't turn back. Right. Yeah. Well, I was invisible in like junior high and I did not think it was fun. So (laughs) just kidding. Okay. Well, let's move into ratings here. And uh, Bill Shetty, what are your final thoughts and your rating on the invisible man? 
This is an absolute true classic. I'm glad Doc picked it because I hadn't seen it in 20, 30 years at least. Uh, and this is the only time that I really rewatch films is when I'm reviewing them because I have so many newer ones to watch. But Doc, I appreciate it. This is yep. one you have to buy. You got to have it in your collection. I'm giving this a solid eight. I hope that's not too low for Doc. No, no, not at all. I'm glad you enjoyed it. What do you yep, say, Doc? Oh, well, for, for me, you know, um, I reserve ver- tens for, for very specific movies. But for me, this is this is a nine, you know, and and at Uma, it would have been a nine point five if it was for Una O'Connor. I took it down a half a point for her. Because I, took I, it liked, down <laughs> I understand, you know, that's understandable. I can't I can't uh, fault you for that. Um, but for me, that she definitely brought it down just, you know, a half a point, but it's still for me a nine and, oh, absolutely. This is one that you got to have. If you can, if you can swing it, get that whole classic, um, monsters collection on Blu-ray. It's phenomenal. And this movie is a uh, part of it. There's only one movie in there that I think is probably doesn't belong. And that's their, the, the, the version of Phantom of the Opera they decided to include, from the forties, which felt much more like a drama to me than it, than it did uh, a horror movie. It was and it, the way it was made. But other than that, every movie in there is, is a, is a classic, wonderful bonus features. Um, and if you can get it, and I know, I think they've been putting it on sale on Amazon and into the $50 range, definitely pick it up. Okay. So doc says nine and buy it. Bill Shetty says eight and buy it. And what do you say? Say midnight, Corey. Um, I got to agree with Bill. I uh, got to give it an eight. This thing is solid. It is so good. I think my favorite, you know, universal horror uh, is so awesome to me. And I love, I love uh, pretty much all of the films uh, that came out of that era. But this one is the cream of the crop. This is one of the best. Uh, eight out of 10. Just so brilliant. Uh, even like we talked about so much from the effects standpoint, blows my mind. Because mm-hmm. uh, even now, people today have trouble pulling off effects, I think, like like they did 80-some years ago. So uh, a great film. Claude Rains was the man. He he just did it so well. And um, so, yeah, yeah, got to give it props. This is a, a great, great film. Mm-hmm. Eight and buy it then, huh? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And for listeners out there, by the way, this is currently streaming on Netflix Watch Instantly until May 1st, 2014. Ooh. So you'll have some time between, Two weeks. Yeah, yeah. between the time this episode releases <laughs> yep. and May 1st. And like you said, it's only 71 minutes. It's not a big, um, you know, you're not dedicating a lot of time to it. Yeah. It's like you're watching a, an episode and a half of Breaking Bad or something. You know? <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, this was, I would say, you know, a lot of people talk about how like 1977 was a great year for special effects and, you know, because it's Star Wars or whatever. Uh-huh. But honestly, I would say 1933 was a great year for special effects because that's the same year as King Kong as well. Oh, and, and the original Kong is actually pretty incredible. So you got Kong that year. You've got this that year. And... Uh, for me, this is a seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. I I really love I see love. Uh, yeah, I really I did like this film a lot. Now for me, it's a rental. It's not a buy. I mean, because it's streaming on Netflix. Watch it there. But um, all seven of my points are pretty much for the special effects. I was blown away, you know, by this how convincing it is, especially when he unwraps his bandages and he's not even there. It's incredible. So yeah. definitely check this out. 
Tara Toby, now that you've heard us all rave about this, are you going to watch this on Netflix? Hey, man. Yeah. It does. It's, it sounds super interesting the way you guys are talking about it. And, like, I, I'm probably with uh, Corey on the fact that I'm like, I want to see, like, how those how those effects you're talking about are done, especially in that day and age because there's no – I mean, they got to – it's all practical. So that's that sounds fantastic. They, the way you guys talk about it, I'm like, I'm excited to go check it out for sure. 70 minutes? Come on. Yeah. Well, yeah, come on. And according to the <laughs> trivia, I still don't really understand this with the context of the film, but the trivia says that in order to achieve the effect that Claude Rains wasn't there, when his character took off the bandages, the director had Rains dressed completely in black velvet and filmed him in front of a black velvet background. But there's one point where he he unwraps and there are like people behind him in the background there's like so i don't i don't understand well he's it. keyed out there's a there's a there's a luma key and a chroma key you know there are different kinds of keying and you can key with uh, luminance values as opposed to like a blue screen or a green screen and so they were totally going for like a, a like a zero black kind of key on that uh as far as like a luma key goes and they were just wow. keying they were just hoping that everything else that he was wearing would um not key out you know uh-huh. of the effect uh so they were counting on grays and things but uh that's why they went with the black velvet because it's non-reflective it doesn't reflect any sort of light and so it's it's pretty much zero black and um nice. so anything that's within that anything yeah. that light value was going to be keyed out that's i i right. i've heard chroma key people were mentioning it all the time now and i just learned what that was thank you thank yeah you that was that's cool excellent. Corey. very cool <laughs> Thanks very cool teaching us about that <laughs> i'm yeah. a nerd chroma yeah. right. <laughs> key chroma key that's fantastic it is very good so i know that Tara Toby needs to take off about now but uh before you leave Tara, why don't you tell the listeners how they can follow your work and find out what you're into these days? Um, I think probably the best way is to uh, go to youtube.com uh, slash Padam Productions. That's P-A-T-M Productions. Uh, or just craigtovey.com. I, I, I put a lot of the stuff up there on my videos page. And so that's that's up to date with all the videos and stuff that I'm working on. So uh, those are the best two ways. I'm on Twitter, uh, but I post there rarely. I just haven't gotten into the habit of it. But uh, I am on Twitter at, at Craig Tovey, so that would be great. I'd love I'd love to have anybody uh, follow what I'm doing, and I'm still I still have two or three different like premises rolling around in my head for horror films that I'm really excited about, and I and I don't know when I'll get to them, but but they're they're some of my strongest story ideas. So nice, far. nice, okay, that's excellent. Well, I tell you, anytime we review everything that's in theaters, at least that's. This horror, we review it on this podcast. So if you see something coming up that you're excited about, please let me know and we'll review it together and we'll have you on the show. Absolutely. It was really good talking to you. I miss you guys like crazy. And I hope we, uh, hope we do a reunion uh, again real soon. Okay. Take yep. Care. We, care, me buddy. too. Take care, sir. Good Thanks. luck. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. This is Katie Rotz of Rotten Rantings. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast. Now we're going to hear Midnight Corey's assignment for Dr. Shock. All right. Well, knowing Dr. Shock and uh, the kind of movies that he tends to gravitate towards and appreciate, I went towards uh, some Hammer films. And this one is from 1971, and it is Twins of Evil. Oh, God, have mercy on this poor, unfortunate creature. In old Gothic Europe, they had two burning passions, witch hunting 
and devil worship. Practice the black arts. They're all slaves to Count Konstein, and he is their evil master. Do you know what I want more than anything else? To meet Count Konstein. They look alike. They dress alike. Two identical beauties. But one of them has the very devil in her. For you, all pleasures should be supreme. Twins of Evil, 1971. It is a Hammer film. Um, and it's about these two identical twins, Maria and Frida, uh, played by actual identical twins, Mary and Madeline Collinson. Um, their parents have died, and they end up uh, in the village of Karnstein, uh, moving in with their uncle Gustav, uh, played by Peter Cushing and his wife. Um, now, Peter Cushing's uh, character, Gustav, is uh, a Puritan. And what he's doing is he's part of this brotherhood that burns witches. And they, we see them actually take, lead some women out um, and, and burn them uh, at the stake. Um, and now one of the, uh, the people that he's not able to go against is actually the most evil man in the area, and that's the Count, uh, Count Karnstein. Um, this guy uh, calls for Satan. I mean, this, this is uh, sort of an evil guy. Um, he has he, he lies on black magic. He has these sort of uh, torture shows put on uh, for him that that uh, that these uh, subordinates put on. Um, you know, while he's sitting there eating, uh, he's just a real. Uh, you know, he's he he worships Satan, uh, and something happens with with Count Karnstein, where um, uh, I'm guessing it was uh, his wife. Who had passed away? Something, something happens during one of these sacrifices where he calls to Satan, where his wife comes back and she's actually uh, one of the undead, and makes him one of the undead. Actually, turns him into a vampire, um, and he has set his sights on the twins. Now they're very different from each other. Uh, Freda, I believe it is, is um, sort of. Uh, you know she's uh, she's the the rebel of the two. You know she likes to she doesn't want to listen to her uncle. She'd rather hang around with Count Carson. She's fascinated by him, and she likes the whole sort of devil lifestyle, the whole Satan worshiping lifestyle. Whereas Maria is very good and pure. Um, but anyway, she does eventually hook up with Count Karnstein, who passes this um, uh, little gift on to uh, Freda as well, and uh, and creates a vampire. Um, with her as well, and it's and you, we have this whole thing playing out where uh, with the two twins um, and her trying to conceal the fact that she is um, one of the undead and spending all her time with Count Karnstein. Meanwhile, Peter Cushing is is sort of going up against um, this uh, this guy. His sister runs the local uh, school, and he is saying, you know, uh, he he's against what. Peter Cushing's character is doing burning all these women at the stake. He's like, you know what? You're 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 creating more evil than you're actually fighting. You're not even doing the right thing against a vampire. You burn a vampire, it's not going to kill him. So you've got that playing out, um, and and um, you know all of this sort of conflict with Peter Cushing's character at the same time that these two twins are you know um, sort of in conflict with each other, um, and. Count Kornstein is taking control of one of them, and you know it's not going to end well. Hmm. Um, I got to tell you, I, I did I did enjoy this movie. I mean, I I was I think when we go back to the Planet Macabre episode that uh, we covered the Hammer films, 
I think I was the only one who came in with a good uh, rating on Vampire. Um, was it Vampire Lovers? I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else, you know, obviously didn't like it. And this is this is part of a trilogy I found out. I didn't even realize this at first that connected with that movie, Vampire Lovers, which is part of the reason probably why it, it appealed to me. Um, it probably didn't hurt that every single woman in this village was smoking hot. I mean, there was there were no women in this movie that, that were that were just thrown in as extras. I mean, you didn't have any old women in the background even. I mean, this is this is a this is a village where every girl is is well, I guess the aunt was a little bit older, but other than that, every woman is is like 30 or under and smoking hot. There's a place in yeah. There's a place yeah. in Arizona like that. It's called Safford, Arizona. It's unforgettable and I think they're vampires. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um but I'll tell you one of the things that, that I did like that really sort of got me was when the movie starts it's almost like a witch movie. You know, like like a like yeah. a Salem witch trial type of thing, like a yeah. witchfinder general with Vincent Price. Uh, it's got that feel to it. And so right off the bat, you're not on Peter Cushing's side. I mean, you don't like this guy. You don't like what he's doing. You, you, you know these women. One of them, he actually pulls a cross off of her neck to lead her out and burn her, right. which right there is something that should have, should, should have shown him this is somebody who's innocent. <laughs> and the fact that he doesn't, he, can't, he doesn't stand up to the one guy in the area who is actually evil. You know, right. he, he's not taking he's not taking the fight to who he's supposed to be taking it to. Uh, yeah, he, um, he's the big man as long as he's fighting women. But, exactly. You know, exactly. As long as another man's there, he's he, you know, he doesn't he doesn't know how to handle down. it. Yeah. So you but so you don't like him. But then later on, you start to realize that he does actually think he's doing good here. And right. you sort of win over to his side, which is something that didn't happen in Witchfinder General. If it's well, his character. his focus, I mean, coming, you know, right from the beginning, his focus is so random. He'll yes. burn anyone and everyone who he thinks might be a witch. He'll get the, you know, some guy who is a member of the Brotherhood in this mm-hmm. film will say, hey, I know this girl. She lives on the outskirts of town and she lives all alone and she's a witch. Let's burn her. Yes, let's burn I gotta, her. I got I to I be honest with you. I smiled a little bit because in that scene where they're all yelling burn her, I immediately flashed the Monty Python. Yes. Animals. Thank you. Thank you. That with that <laughs> scene with with them just burn or burn. Do you think <laughs> they were? Do you think Monty Python was directly parodying? It's this very film? possible because I think their film came out just uh, sl- uh, maybe even around the same time, if not a little, just a year. I want to say seventy four was yeah, the so, Holy Grail. Or, so you're right. So it's a yeah. few years after this movie. It's very right. possible. <laughs> you know, I, I did, but the part with John Cleese, he turned me into a newt. A newt. Oh, I got better. <laughs> exactly exactly but, it's a ridiculousness that's, I, that's what i was thinking of in that scene but um but there is there's that you know that's the randomness about it that 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 even with you think you go back to like the salem witch trials and everything where if if you wanted um what what is it the crucible where they even touch on this yeah. and they did yeah. make a film yeah. of that recently um not too long ago with daniel day lewis and winona Ryder and all where one guy wants this other guy's land so he said, I saw him talking to an animal and then the flames flew up or whatever. Right. So this guy's taken out and burned as a witch. 
because that's what you could do. You know, you could you could do that if you were in good with these guys, you could steer them to sort of your advantage and have innocent people put to death um just from saying, "Yes, I saw this," and they testified and and the test that they would give you to prove to say, you know, if if you were not a witch, you're dead either way. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it doesn't matter what yeah. the you know, it's, whatever it's they without what consequence. Going, I mean, where were the authorities? You know, they were obviously you know, there was, there were, you know, there were the vigilantes, mm-hmm. you know, and there was, there was they no were the ones in control. They were the ones yeah. in control. <laughs> yeah. No. And, Amazing. But that, and that's what this movie starts out with. But then it switches up and becomes, I think, an effective vampire movie. Oh, you know? yeah. I, yeah. Hammer's I, best vampire movie, I'd say. I, I liked the way that. that what? This it, it's up. I, I liked it, too. Oh, I think oh. it's good. I, I I like I did like I did like how they switched this into a vampire. I'm not going to go quite and say it's their it's their best vampire movie because I did like some of their other ones. Um, I think taken out of that that Christopher Lee vampire series, I'm looking at this one as as probably the best of that group. Definitely, um, you know after after seeing it, and I really did enjoy it. I mean, some of Christopher Lee's like like um, the horror of Dracula. I'm still a big fan of that one. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not taking anything I, away from that, but I no, mean. no, no. Understood, oh. understood. But yeah, I did. But I did like the way that the the way that this one turned there, um, and I liked uh, those two twins. You know, they were um, awesome. But for having just pulled them out of Playboy, which is where they found these twins, they had done a spread right. on, on Playboy without knowing if either one of them can act. And I'm not saying they were the strongest actresses, but they weren't. They certainly weren't bad. They pulled their own. They did it well. They, I thought they, yes. they did. They did pull their own, and especially the one playing Frida. Yes, you know, well, you could you could definitely feel this girl like sort of going over to the dark side. Even looking at them, you knew sort of good girl, bad girl. Yes, you, you could know, tell. you knew the one. You know, they were they were identical twins, but you could tell. Yeah. You know which which one was uh, which one was which. Um, so yeah, I, I did uh, I did like this movie quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, great stuff. What? what yeah, what, right there. What do you think, uh, Midnight Corey? Oh, I love this. Actually, the reason I picked this for um, Doc Shock and the reason I, I, I thought about it for this uh, specific talk is because, you know, again, here uh, next week, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, another super uh, uh, drive-in monsterama here um, that shows uh, 35 millimeter prints of classic horror films. And this is one that I'd seen uh, last year, the year before, I can't remember, but it was a Peter Cushing weekend. And uh, nice. so, and actually, the first time I ever saw Twins of Evil was at that drive-in. I haven't seen it before oh, that. Um, that so was, yeah, that would have been absolutely awesome. amazing. I loved it, and um, and so again, you know, thinking of movies to uh, recommend, you know, especially Doc Shock, and uh, having that on my mind, I'm like Twins of Evil. I have to see this again. Right. It was it was so great on the big screen, and yeah, uh, that is awesome. It was. Um, you know, it definitely blew me away. Just the beauty of the twins. I mean, mm. they were they were beautiful, beautiful girls. And the thing is, they didn't play off of their nudity. You know, I mean, there was nudity in the film, but they there didn't was. exploit it. Exactly. They didn't go as far as you they even could have. I mean, because back then, Hammer had had taken in, you know, they, they had drifted away from from where they were at the start. And they were getting into combining, you know, with the hard getting into almost like sexploitation. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 throwing quite a bit of nudity in there. And obviously with, you know, putting blood and, and so forth, um, just to just 
you know, just to take just to sort of appeal to that audience. Well, um, it, you know, at the time, it's mild, but it's still pretty sultry. To be mm-hmm. honest with you, yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, ooh, you know, like it's one yep. of those kind of movies a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now the yeah. one thing I the one thing I was sort of uh, I thought was kind of curious was they did reintroduce um, the uh, countess, and then just sort of she dropped off, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Like she, she wasn't there after that. And I thought that was a little bit because if she was a, an undead, she probably would have still been around in, in some degree. It made me think that she was more of a plot device than anything it's, it's, else. Uh, yeah, that, that she was just sort of there to, to, to move it along. Right. Um, but I think once you introduce that, I think you got to carry it through. You can't just drop it. Agreed. That was probably yeah. one thing that, that, that I was looking at. But I mean, it didn't detract from the overall like enjoyment of the movie. And I do think that Peter Cushing, you know, and, and, and it's the same, it's unfortunate because the man went through so much toward the end of his career with his wife dying. I mean, that really yeah. devastated him. Um, and, and I think it, it, I think he sort of was tapping some of that, you know, or, or you know, pulling from some of that during this performance, you know, when you, when you could sort of see toward the end there, how he was just wrestling with this whole thing, where he's questioning, am I doing the right thing? I mean, obviously, he realizes even just from a technical standpoint, he wasn't doing the right thing if he was going after vampires. Because if you burn them, you're not killing them. You know, you're just releasing their spirits to, un- to inhabit another body. Um, so even from that one standpoint, um, and just with everything else he was doing, and now it's affecting his family, and can he, can he carry forward and do to his family what he was doing to all these other girls who meant nothing to him? You know, yeah. and, and so there's that. And then he starts thinking, wow, these other girls had families. You know, just this whole thing, you could sort of see it in his face, sort of carrying it through with that. Um, so I think it was a really uh, a, a strong performance by, by Peter Cushing. And um, just because of when it came at, at the time in his life, I think that that helped enhance it a little bit as well. I agree. You know, this has been, this was the first time I had seen this film and I'm really gr- glad Midnight Corey that you picked this one. Cause I, I couldn't believe how much I was drawn in because I tell you, I'm not a huge, I don't love period pieces, especially when it comes to horror. Like I like horror set in the modern day because I relate to it more. That's usually scarier to me personally, but this drew me in. I couldn't believe how well entertained I was because, as Doc said, the performances are great. Um, like it was particularly Peter Cushing, of course. So uh, the acting is good. I like the casting, as and as was mentioned, all the the women were <laughs> great casting choices. And I kind of mm-hmm. like the story too, to be honest with you. Um, I guess if I were gonna like uh, criticize it at all, and I, I I'm sure this is hard to do practically, right? But when they did the burning sequences, it was obvious that the women were just merely in the background of the flame, and the flame was in the foreground. Oh, yeah. So that's a little yeah. critique I had there. Well, I'm, I'm sure they tried to convince them to let themselves burn up, but I don't think they were too into it. <laughs> well, I'm thinking those little little tiny cords that they tied their hands onto the cross with would have mm-hmm. burned off. You know, well before they, you know, the they, probably yeah the yes, people themselves would have burned. So, uh, oh definitely. yeah, I mean, it was. Um, yeah, less than believable, but but there's hey. a there's a scene that made me laugh out loud though because um, there's a scene where they're they're describing the uh, debaucherous uh, gatherings that happen there in in the count's castle, 
and the the naughty twin Frida, <laughs> the expression on her face, she loves it. Her face lights up, and she's all excited <laughs> as it's being right. described. Um, at another point, there's an apparition that kind of rises up from a dead. That was body. awesome. Looked amazing. I love that yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so was that was actually kind of creepy and unsettling. Uh, it definitely was. And then another thing is that there's a scene where a dead body is brought in, and we're not going to get into who or what or you know what the circumstances were. But that that like you said, the bad twin. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is shocked, and she's just sort of amused. Yeah. yeah. You know when that big reveal happens, and that even is just sort of like wow. You know this girl really is lost. You know she is right. in. She is all. She is in. She's part of the dark side now. On the highway to hell. But, right. <laughs> right. ACDC. I did like how, um, I, you know, I like movies that kind of do a good job with uh, the mythos, like the vampire mythos. And, and I like mm-hmm. some of the stuff that was, um, you know, underscored in this film as far as like, you know, why it was important not to just burn them, but, you know, to stake them or behead them and so forth. I mean, there are lots of little details like that we get. Um, one thing along those lines, though, that was hilarious to me, like in a dumb way, was obviously in the film, you see that the cross thing, that test works. And it's like, uh-huh. if that works so clearly, why didn't they always use that? Because there's like, like there's yes. another time in the film, it's like, okay, let's just use this cross test to make sure. <laughs> you know, that's hilarious to me personally. But You know, and the, the, only, the only thing I thought with that is, is that early on, I got the feeling they were going after witches and they weren't necessarily thinking they were vampires. Okay. Yeah. Good that point. was the only thing I was thinking is that the vampires sort of came in later on when with the realization when this other guy was sort of filling them in of vampires. I think they were going after after witches. Um, because they like I said, there was one woman who had a cross around her neck that they pulled off and then <laughs> dragged around and burned her. I mean, I was right at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yes. Um, so I yes. think that could have you know, been part of it, but no, something else you didn't mention that that did sort of strike me was they were walking around in the daylight, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So what's up with that? Right. <laughs> so, Bill Shetty, have you seen this one recently? I don't know what you three are foaming at the mouth for. I did not like this film. Well, you're not. I you're not. Guys, you're not a hammer piece. Fan anyway. You're not a hammer oh fan my God, Doc. Yeah, Doc, and you mentioned that Planet Macabre episode, which was eight, and it is available on HorrorOnTheGo.com. Got to get that plug out. Um, I didn't think I would ever have to see Peter Cushing again because I do not like the guy. Yeah, he's a decent actor. I'm not going to say he was brilliant. You know, he was in all the Hammer films, but he plays the same type of role in every film, and I just cannot stand him, man. I just... Got a bad taste in my mouth for that guy. And I was completely out of this film. I did not like it. The only, there was one part that got me. I can't say it would be a spoiler. Somebody gets decapitated. Mm -hmm. I did not see that coming. I was so snoozing in this movie. I I gotta like pretty girls. You like pretty girls, Bill. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I really thought you picked this to piss me off, Corey, to be honest. With you. <laughs> well, that might have been part of it. I don't know. Uh, I thought so. Well, maybe, I, but no. It was it was more for Doc, but uh I do enjoy I mean, and I uh, I do enjoy the, the the hammer films when they're good. I mean, some of the ones we did cover on Planet Macabre, <laughs> like we did those two later, 
the like the last two uh, Christopher Lee vampire movies that are not good. Oh boy! Dracula is seventy-two AD. I did not like, and I I definitely did not like uh, that last one. I can't even remember what it is now. The Satanic Rites of Dracula. Satanic Rites of Dracula. Oh, I really didn't like that movie. Right. Yeah. Right. But Doc um, is like Cushing, like a one-trick pony. I know he did some films I, later on that. I don't think he's a character actor. I think. I don't think so. I think I think he showed in this one. I mean, this one was is a little bit different because normally he's Van Helsing. Going after you know Dracula, and there was one where he was Sherlock Holmes, and he actually did an excellent Still the same and, type of role and, here. Though you you guys described it good, he was going after women, but then he did battle after the big vampire. I mean, it's the same thing. He also plays a pretty impressive Grand Moff Tarkin. Too. Oh yeah, in Star Wars, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's yeah, probably yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. first one, first movie I've ever seen. But he, him I in, mean, actually. he does. He you know, to be fair, Bill, I mean, he, I think you're right. I mean, he's he doesn't have a huge range of characters that he right. plays. He's, he, you know, he's, he's fairly streamlined into what he has done and, uh, he does what he does well, but you know, he doesn't really, he, you know, he hasn't, you know, it's not like he's around anymore, but you know, he hasn't really ventured outside of, of what he's good at doing. Right. And it, he does right. what he does well, you know, but there's yeah. weight to it though, is my thing yeah. it, where, yeah, exactly. where you believe it. You know, yeah, right. Yeah, but Jay, I don't think you you've seen the vast majority of the Hammer films. I mean, I could be wrong, no, but that, I'm more that, speaking to in uh, Midnight Corey. If you've seen true. him in the earlier Dracula's, it's the same thing, movie after movie after movie. Well, after and the Dracula uh, ones, yes, after the Dracula. But I think in the Frankenstein's, you know, he 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 hits the same notes with his performance in all of them, but he is playing very different characters. In the Frankenstein's, he's playing this this you know, it's a driven scientist who is who's, who's stealing bodies, um, and and completely justifying it to um you know to further science. So he does he does you know take it outside of just um you know playing the hero. I mean, there are times when he is also playing on the other side. And right, but he's got the same expressions in his face on every oh, single movie. That. And maybe you that's can... why I'm a slasher guy. Maybe I like all those newer characters and people you don't know. Because if you get used to the <laughs> same actor over and over, like Christopher Lee was the same way, it gets really annoying. You're saying so much, uh, I think, what is true for all of the classic actors. Because um, mm-hmm. you can say that for Lugosi, for um, you know Karloff. You know, and everybody, I mean, they, they pretty much, they, they portrayed the same sort of persona, no matter what yeah. they did. You know, it was right. that power and that, that command that they had. Yes, um, it is. That's what they did. You know, and, but, but at the same token, I mean, I mean, even, even you could even take it back, obviously outside the horror genre, like Humphrey Bogart, you always knew when Humphrey Bogart yeah. was playing a exactly. role, no matter who he was playing. That's Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. You know, you could even say that about Jack Nicholson to a degree. As good an actor as Jack right, Nicholson right. is, he always yeah. has that same persona. I think so. Well, I, I think I think he. I think, I think you he, listen to Mark, man. No, I think I'm I'm hitting exactly what you're talking about here. <laughs> you're saying that these guys always are sort of you know they're always themselves. You can always tell it's them, and they're always sort of hitting the same notes. I don't think. Now I'm not saying Jack Nicholson hits the same notes. But I think when you got back to the older days, like Bella Lugosi um, and so forth, I think they definitely were yeah, hitting a lot thing, of the same. This, we're not talking about 30s and 40s here now. We're talking about 60s and 70s and take somebody like Vincent Price, who was 
way above somebody like Cushing in my eyes. Well, the characters. Price was still Price in whatever he did. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I I think he falls right in line with these guys. But no, but he brought different facial expressions and different tones to his characters, which Cushing and like Lee never did in my eyes. Uh, Generalization, man. Uh, I think that's way too general. I I think I I mean, I personally, I'm I'm a big you know, I am a Peter Cushing fan. And I think um, that he gives the performance that's needed in the in the films they are. I mean, a lot of the Hammer films are the gothic, uh, you know, they're set in the past um, and the characters that he's playing. I think that, you know, I think he's hitting what he needs to hit in those characters. Uh, Vincent Price. Yes. I mean, you could look at Vincent Price, even in something like the abominable Dr. Fives, where he doesn't even talk. But, you know, he he's he uh, Vincent Price was sort of a different and he would even do like comedies and things like that. So he definitely I, I understand what it is you're saying, but it was still I like Corey was saying, you could still you still always sort of knew it was Vincent Price. They're not disappearing into the role. He didn't disappear into the role. Let me let me put it this way if, and tell me if you agree, Doc and Corey, is if, if you don't like this Cushing guy. Would you like any of his movies that he did from 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s? I, you know what? You I, I, uh, That's fair. I'm trying. I, I think, no, I think you're right. I, I, think, I think you're right. But whereas somebody with Vincent Price, you could pick out a couple movies. I got an issue, right. though, with that, Bill Shetty. I think, you, I think there is some validity in what you're saying about him playing a similar type of character. Right. But I don't think that critique holds much weight in terms of like disregarding or dismissing this film because it, it's not really about his body of work. It's about do you do you believe the character you're seeing in this film? You know, and I yeah, do. I don't. I see. I don't because I've seen him in so many movies and he's the same thing with the same eyes and the same lips and the same drawn face that he makes <laughs> when he does certain when he says certain words, man, I, I just can't buy it. But the girls were cute to look at. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Word, okay. word. That's interesting. Wow. Well, for for people who haven't seen this. Just so you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching it this way, but there's a terrible version of it, meaning terrible quality, on YouTube. They have the full film on YouTube. Um, Doc, I'm sure you own this. And Corey, how did you revisit this one? On Blu-ray, actually. I bought it um, because I I was so blown away uh, again at the drive-in. Yeah. Yeah, And I'll tell you what, this is one I actually... Um, was sent this as a screener by Synapse when it first came out, and I had never actually popped it open and watched it. So I was very, very glad that you actually picked this one, Corey. It cool. gave me a reason to, to break it down and watch it. And um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm definitely glad that I did. Okay. Well, let's let's wrap up on this one and go with our final thoughts and our ratings, and we'll start with, start with you, Midnight Corey. Um, you know, again, something that... Uh, was a, a very cool experience for me at the drive-in, you know, seeing it on 35 millimeter and just hanging out. And, and Jay, I, I neglected to uh, mention how fitting it was that Katie Rotz opened this segment uh, because Katie is uh, one of the great friends that I have who uh, she ventures to the drive-in uh, every time they have it. And nice. uh, here in a week, you know, I'll be hanging out with her again. Nice. This next one. That's great. And, and she uh, just recent, just recently married. Katie yes, Rock. yes. 
Oh, and awesome, I didn't know that. awesome man. Yes, yes. Dan is a great, great guy. The last time they came to the drive-in, they were engaged, and I got oh. to hang out with them for the weekend and meet Dan and and uh, really get to know them. And uh, they're a fantastic, fantastic couple. And, and I, I so they happy. had actually, they had actually invited me to the wedding, and I was not able to attend. And I me felt too. Kind of bad yeah. about that. And I, I would have, I would have definitely liked to have been there. So, Katie, if you're listening, um, you know, congratulations, and I wish you all the best. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, that's wonderful news. She's yeah. nice. So uh, it, it was just very cool. But uh, again, just my excitement from uh, seeing it at the, at, at, uh, the drive-in and um, being able to see it again here. That's, uh, you know, it was uh, really great to visit this again. And uh, I think, actually, I, I appreciated a lot of it more now that, uh, you know, I actually, I was here in my house. I was seeing it on the screen. I could pay more attention, you know, at the drive-in. You know, I'm hanging out with friends and stuff, and you don't catch everything all the time. It's just about mm-hmm. the experience. Uh, but now I actually got to focus on the film, and uh, it was really fantastic. I, I caught a lot of things that I didn't before. I appreciate a lot of things. On the Blu-ray, it is amazingly clear. Um, being, what, 40-whatever 40, 40 years old now, it is, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. But it looks great. It looks great. Uh, the girls are beautiful. I mean, they were... I mean, the twins were sort of, they were impossibly beautiful. I mean, how do, how do you film? Uh, I mean, they were, they were just uh, yeah, very they, stunning, they, stunning they really girls. Were. They really I, were. And you, you just, wow. you just sort of marvel. You, they just caught every time they're on screen. That's, you're just like, wow, they really are. Yeah. No, I'm not, ju- I'm not just being like a horny fanboy here you no, know, no, or no, anything, I, but I mean, it was, it was uh, seriously like great it, film. You know, I, I, it made them look, it flattered them to the utmost extent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. And it made it fun to watch, let's be honest. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it well, did. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, what's your rating on this one, Midnight Corey? Oh, wow. Um, great horror here. I think uh, classic horror and something that isn't necessarily going to be appreciated by everybody right now. Cause again, it was, you know, 40, 40 some years ago. And, uh, you know, wow. But, uh, Twins of Evil, I got to give it an 8. 8 out of 10. Um, I think you should buy it. You should buy it on Blu-ray. Um, really, it's a fantastic film and great, great in film history. And Peter Cushing, sorry, Bill, but Peter Cushing, you know, it's a... <laughs> it's amazing. It's got its, it's, got its place in history. <laughs> it's got a, you know, a, a serious place in history, man. I mean, yeah. very important, I think. Yeah. So, I don't think this era in Hammer seventies is an important in Hammer horror. Oh, well. Wow, I'm surprised you're disputable. I mean, you don't yeah. typically like Hammer, just period, right across the board, Bill Shetty, right for the well, most part. But th- this is coming towards the end of their reign, and uh, this is when they were done. And like Doc was saying, they were trying to survive and change, and they did change somewhat in this film, but. No, this is a downer movie. This is not scary at all. Let me just throw my rating out of three. You know, this is not worth it at all. Guys, don't listen to all three of them. Do not Playboy Playmates. Playboy Playmates. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my Corey, come on, man. You're usually I know, I know. I'm, I'm messing with you. Films, I, man. <laughs> I know. I know. So, so that's uh, three and you're saying avoid it, Bill Shetty? Absolutely. This is painful. There's nothing scary or terrifying in this movie except the story is terrifyingly stupid. But axe to the head? That. You saw that axe to the head at the end of the movie? 
He yeah. put that axe in that guy's head, the beheading. Mm-hmm. Gruesome, gruesome thing. They're very said there was one decent part, a shocking part in it. That's not going to change my rating in it, though. Uh-huh. That was towards the film. You got to suffer through to be yeah. first hour of this film to get oh, to awesome. that. So. so you're saying don't even watch it free on YouTube then, Bill Shetty. Oh, it's not worth it. Go back even further and hammer if you want to see something better than that. <laughs> okay. No. All right. What do you say, Dr. Shock? What's your rating? Um, it, it, oddly enough, and this is, you know, the, I, I sort of had this whole thing on the planet macabre when I came in with the um, uh, with the vampire lovers. Um, I'm going to, I believe, I, I can't remember what I gave that movie, but I was thinking the same thing. I'm right there with Corey. I, I like this a lot. I'm giving it an eight, and I'm saying it's it's definitely worth uh um, if, if you are a Hammer fan, this is one that you'll want to have in your collection. Uh, I did like the story. I did like how it, it, it started in one way and it sort of twisted it around to something else. Um, I did really like Peter Cushing's performance in it, but I am a P- Peter Cushing fan as well. Um, so I'm sure that helped it a lot. Um, and the women are stunning, you know, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. So I'm giving it an eight. Yeah. And as for me, there was something about the story that really drew me in. And I honestly didn't think I was, I wasn't that excited to watch it. I didn't think I was going to be impressed, but I actually enjoyed it, um, you know, quite a bit. So for me, it's a 5.5 out of 10. I don't, I don't, I mean, it's a rental to me. So why is that funny? Like, Jay, why do you do that? You talk so highly of a film so much during your whole review, and then five, it's a five film. Well, I did expect a little higher. Than yeah, that, yeah, I gotta say, I, I did too. But you know, what? I, let me put it this way: No, after after podcasting with Jay for a while, no, I didn't expect higher. But I mean, if if he if he was really gushing gushing over it, that one of the best things he's seen in a while, he might have gone to a six. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> well, it's a, it's definitely a rental, I think. I think it's worth seeing. And actually, I'd like to hear, I know that our friend One Sick Puppy has been doing a, a, a series on his show, Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. He's doing a series on Hammer Films, and I'd like to hear him cover that. So, um, th- this one, Twins of Evil. So, anyway, that's, that's where I come in at. And thanks for that review, okay. you guys. It's hilarious. Cool. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right, and we'll keep on cruising here. I'm excited about this next one. Hi, this is Ron Martin from the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcasts. Now we're going to hear Bill Shetty's assignment for Terror Toby. Wow, that's sweet, man. I like how you put all those clips together. That is awesome. That's That's really awesome. That's that's really cool, yeah. Those are our homies. That's a nice touch. That's a really nice touch. Thanks. We like this, guys. I thought it was too. I thought it was super nice of all those guys to like, you know, kind of celebrate our episode with us by contributing. So we want to um, thank uh, Greg Amortis, Boss Butcher, Katie Rotz, and our friend Ron Martin. There, that was really cool. Those guys. Yes, thank, thank you, everyone. That was that was excellent. Man. Yes, and this pick was geared towards terror, man. I didn't want to discuss it with you, Jay. It's kind of pissing me off, man, because he's the comfy fan. <laughs> hey, but me, me and Terror had a lot of battles, and, you know, he likes zombie land and goofy comedy horror movies, and <laughs> I had not seen this movie before. You know, this is one I had setting around from a couple years past. It's called Dear God No. It actually made it on some top ten lists. The year this came out, I think. In <laughs> really? This movie, yes, believe it or not. You know, 
It's a crazy, bad, independent, but I wanted Tara to go back to my world of what I live with every day <laughs> in this horrible world for you fans and cover movies like this. So I picked Dear God No. Warning, due to the shocking images contained within this motion picture, sissies and individuals with heart conditions will not be allowed to attend screenings of Dear God No. Hide your daughters. The Impalers are coming. Bikers, scum of the air. Meet the one percent of the one percenters. Full throttle on the bottle. There are no angels. Speed freaks holding morality hostage until they unleash the gates of hell. What happens in this house will freak you out. Coming soon. That was a trailer. I, I did not get to see this movie. First off, thank you for oh. blaring that as loud as you were, Jay. I appreciate <laughs> that. But I rate the trailer a two. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. So, um, Midnight Corey, you saw this, right? Yes, sir. And yes, sir. Saw Four dollars to Amazon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I saw it in Bill Shetty. And, uh, Doc, I'm sad you haven't seen this. Okay, well... Here, I got a lot to say about this film, Bill Shetty. So, you know, th- thanks for being dismissive of me. <laughs> no, well, well you, you wasn't a choice. I never would have picked right. this movie for you, Jay. Oh, I you know got I mean? you. I'm just kidding. So I'm stepping in for Terror since he's not here to review this. So the premise. I'll be Terror. Like, hey, I'm Terror Toby. <laughs> I'm in L.A. Yeah, dude. Bill Shetty, <laughs> I, I watched this film. Like, what? What was going on? This was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. Not too bad. Sorry. Sorry. No, I like that. So the premise is you've got this gang of outlaw bikers and they do this home invasion on this anthropologist scientist guy who's hiding a secret that's locked in his cabin basement. And uh, that's from IMDb. (laughs) And and this is like a, a 70s type throwback it's almost like a modern day grindhouse flick i would say did they scratch the did they scratch the film yes. and things like that <laughs> they okay. Sure did. Mm-hmm. okay yeah but um <clears throat> you know I, I will say i gotta give i mean i was not surprised at all that this was a bill shetty pick because you know as i was watching this film i was actually pretty conflicted about it in a lot of ways because you know i think people by by now know that um, a little bit more of a conservative person. So this this film is kind of edgy. What do you think, Jack? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I'd go so far as to say it's pretty extreme uh, type horror. But as Bill Shetty has suggested, there's definitely an undercurrent of comedy in it. But here's the thing. Usually in comedy horror, the comedy kind of lightens the mood or the tone of the film. Well, in this film, interestingly... The comedy actually makes it more severe because they're trying to be comedic in parts that are just seriously not fine. I mean, it's in terribly poor taste, um, to say the least. Now, uh, I'll just kind of... <laughs> anyway, anyway, let me um, just ask uh, Midnight Corey, because when I watch this Midnight Corey, I'm like, I know Midnight Corey's a good person, but he likes sick, <laughs> demented, weirdo stuff, and I'm like... I bet you Midnight Corey will actually get a kick out of how messed up this movie is. Did you get a kick out of this movie? It was so wacky and so funny. I actually did. By the end, I'm just like, 
<laughs> wow, I'm laughing my ass off at this point. This was really, really funny. Um, I was not shocked. Uh, I was not offended. Nothing. I mean, it was just really, really funny. Um, everything shocking-wise or uh, you know, gory-wise, I've seen before. Right. You know, and I've seen better. You know, and uh, it, it was just really wacky. I think. I think uh, some filmmakers got together at a bar one night and they got really drunk and they were just like, I bet that you can't take last house on the left and make it work with Bigfoot. Right. And they, they totally, they're <laughs> like, dude, I could totally do that, man. I'm doing that tomorrow. And they're like, all right, man, you got to do that. And I think it was just the result of a very drunken bet um, because it was totally last house on the left. Um, and then they sort of put Bigfoot uh, at the end. <laughs> and uh, yeah. not to say that I, <laughs> I, I totally enjoyed it. I loved it, but it's not a horror film at all. It's not. You know, I've seen, um, you know, every everything wow, I can't potentially offensive. <laughs> Seriously, it was not. It was, it was funny. I would definitely it call it a horror film, Corey. Why do you say oh, it's not a horror film? Because it's so funny? <laughs> because Maybe it's me, and then I've seen it before, especially Last House on the Left. Right. You know, every every twist and turn I saw, you know, the bikers going into the house and doing these terrible things. Last house on the left. Okay, I've seen this before. The abortion, you know, cutting open the the you know, the pregnant woman's belly and then taking out the baby and everything. Right. I've seen that before, but actually even more extreme, you know, if you've ever seen Anthropophagus from nineteen eighty, um, you know, actually he pulled the baby out of the the the, the woman and he bit into it. He ate it. Uh, you know, so I, you know, that's, that, it was just sort of okay, you know, and I've seen a lot of sort of uh, these violent abortion things before, you know, and this is sort of uh, the kind of film that uh, I've picked up countless times at a lot of these festivals that I go to, you know, like Cinema Wasteland, the Erie Horror Film Festival, you know, down to Pittsburgh, uh, you know, HorrorCon, everything, you know, these it, it, it really extreme independent films that are obviously, you know, they have no money. And uh, are trying to do something extreme and <laughs> that they're just trying to do a lot of things that I've seen before. And right. really, there was nothing new in this. There was nothing new. And, you know, it, what about, it was fun, though. What Don't about, get me wrong. I had a good time. I, I, bet, I bet there is something new that you're forgetting about. What about the uh, tampon drink? Oh, oh <laughs> you know, there, actually, yeah. Yeah. That's I'll give new. you that. That's that new. Was, <laughs> that was new. That was new. Tampon humor. All right. That All right. was disgusting. Yeah. That was actually I thought of Gigi Allen, actually, when I when I thought of that, because Gigi Allen was was infamous for uh, you know, consuming used tampons. Um so you know, I was I was just seeing a lot of influences from a lot of really, really strange, crazy uh, sure. sources here, like Gigi Allen and Anthropophagus and Last House on the Left. And but that's all I saw. It was just a lot of homage you know homage well, right whatever. you can say that the filmmakers were total horror fans that right. made this movie right no, it wasn't I mean, it wasn't horrific i mean it was just shocker you know, they're just trying to shock yeah it wasn't horrific you know it was like you know last house on the left is not horrific it's just shocking for what right, it is but they you know, were trying to be but eh. You know. And they were doing it in that slap-handed humor type of way, which completely takes scare factor out for a movie. That's why it. I said it was so funny. This was a comedy film for me. You know, it was mm -hmm. a it was a comedy film, sort of made by 
horror shocker fans but, that saw all these but, movies Corey, and were pulling all this off. You know, but Corey, that part in the house when the music changed and the levity came way down got serious, which actually shocked me in this movie because from the opening scene with the nuns and the bikers, you're expecting a total comedy farce of a horror movie. But then in that house, man, it did drop down a level into depravity, which kind of disturbed me, really. Like, I wasn't expecting it in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, but I, I, Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get that, but it's just I've seen it before. You know, it was just not that shocking to me. I've seen it done before and done better th- than it was here. And I know what they were going for, and I appreciate that. And I'm not taking anything away from it because I enjoyed this movie. I really did because I saw it as like, you know, I watched like, uh, you know, Airplane or The Naked Gun or something, and I appreciate everything that they were going for, yeah. you know, and all the the references they were making and everything they were trying to recreate just for comedic effect. And that's sort of the parallel that I saw here. You know, this was a total parody kind of film. You know, that's how I saw it. They were parody. I'm surprised you like uh, this. I really am. I'm more shocked at that than anything. I can't wait to watch it again, you know, without, you know, my wife (laughs) or, you know, anybody that uh, has good taste. But yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. It's it's one of those movies that you don't really like to admit having seen, I would say. But, but Corey, you know what made me think of the whole time? I remember on our very first. Well, I think it was our second episode of the weekly horror movie podcast. Actually, we asked you the the questions about why you liked horror and stuff. And you said that you love how um, the forbidden, the taboo, you think that's really interesting to you, right? It was something along those lines that, exactly. that that's kind of interesting to you. So, you know, I thought of you the whole time in this because it was like these guys came up with a list and and as was said, <laughs> they were probably drunk when they did it. But they yeah. came up with a list. It's like, okay, what are taboo, offensive things? Okay, defiling nuns, you know, taking out a pregnant woman, you know, rapes and stuff. And and like so, they just went down this whole list. And I will say, I think they tried to do some of it with some heart. Meaning, I think that I that, disagree. Well, wait, wait. There there are places. Um, that's funny that you would disagree with that because <laughs> that that is such an abstract abstract I'll, I'll phrase that I'm describing. Yeah, but Jay, okay, go the for reason it. why is because I think they knew exactly that they weren't filmmakers and they knew they had to add, add all that comedy craziness in it because they didn't know what they were doing. They had horrible. I don't know, their aunts and uncles acting in it and their cousins with no teeth and they found every toothless biker they could and it was just, they knew they was making a bad movie. It's just one of those movies that I despise in the independent world. It it almost felt like they weren't trying to show scenes and they they just- It's like, let's take it as far as we can go and do whatever- we don't care. But and, I would right, see I, I would agree. agree I would agree with that except for the effects, the gore effects. I think they were really trying hard nah, to pull those off. No, I, I mean I some of it's decent for low I mean, since this is such a low budget or no budget film, like nah, some of the gore course. effects no, I think some of it's actually um, somewhat decent. I, I kind of respected no, what you they were the trying to do. Right. It was all right. I actually I, I think I most respected the look of Bigfoot at the very, very end. Yeah. Actually, I really dug him. You know, I <laughs> Me think they too. had a great did costume. There's something creepy uh, about hey, Corby, him. Did, yeah. Did you respect the five-minute 
camera scene of the dancer, the stripper in the bar, oh five minutes <laughs> of water in and out. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, that was right at the beginning of the film when I'm just like they're trying to be Grindhouse so bad. Right. And that they had the film grain going on, the fake film grain. Did you guys notice they had that film grain going on for like the first 20 minutes of the film? (laughs) And then for the last whatever hour of the film, it disappeared. Like they just didn't do it anymore. (laughs) It's It's like they sort of forgot about it. They ran out of money. I don't I don't know what it was. They just decided they didn't want to render it out in After Effects anymore. And so they got sick of it. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it, it was that kind of thing. And, yeah, yeah, I totally – and that was in my notes. I'm just like totally gratuitous, ridiculous strippers with Nixon masks on and just being – you know, it's what it is. And that's why, I, you know, they're trying to be Grindhouse so much. But um, Yeah, I saw them trying to be a little bit of Tarantino too. They tried to pull off yeah, a Tarantino-type yeah. scene when there was the bar shootout and stuff. And I'm like – yeah, they didn't quite make Tarantino there, but um, but they weren't trying to though, Jay. That's what I'm saying. They knew they couldn't make a good film. No, that's I think, what, that I, is my point. But I think they were imitating um, Tarantino. I think yes. they were going for a Tarantino film. You know, I really do. That's why they knew they couldn't do it. So let's just take it as far as we can saying. go. Let's I just mean, be I, as no ridiculous, right? You know, what, what, exactly. what are you That's disagreeing with, just, Bill Shea? I don't get what you're disagreeing with. What are you saying? For some reason, I got a feeling you're like, you're like these filmmakers really tried to make a shocking, great horror movie. And I don't think that case at all. Not one bit do I think that. Well, I think they tried on the gore effects. I, I do. I mean, I think they knew it was going to be ridiculous, but I think they were going for the over the top grindhouse thing. But I guess that's neither here nor there, right? What they were going for. I mean, how, what do you think of the well, end product? What I'm saying is I despise films like this in the independent world. And there's a lot that they know they can't make a good horror film. So they got to add all this craziness and over-the-top comedy. And I don't know if these filmmakers are sitting back laughing when, oh, look at this. This would be funny. Let me put a bike, <laughs> a tread bike on a, on a nun here and not even show it. Cut away. I mean, it's just stupid film. Now, what you're saying – what you're saying would resonate with me more had if Doc and I, in the previous episode, if we hadn't watched the Jan Gal movies, because that's a that's a film where the filmmaker knew it was terrible, and then they were just like throwing everything out the window, like whatever, we don't even need to do retakes when the dialogue's bad and all that stuff. So I mean, there's definitely more effort in this film than we see in something like Jan Gal, for example. Well, I didn't see that, but I, I don't... Don't do it. I don't agree. Yeah, well, I don't agree with that. Like, Roger Corman films are horrible, but there's an appeal to them somewhat. You know how bad they are. <laughs> well, I, you know, what's interesting, though, I mean, I wanted to ask you guys, who do you think this would appeal to? Because I'll, I'll call out some names right here. Like, I think people Apparently that... Apparently Midnight Corey. <laughs> yeah, he, he was on my list. I think that one sick puppy would appreciate this. Our friend Chris Excess, I think, would appreciate this. I mean, I, there are people out there with kind of like a little bit of twisted sense of humor. You know, Trauma fans would enjoy this. Oh, yeah. It's Trauma. it's not because right. I'm calling this a good movie. Like, hey, this was a great movie, and that's right. why I'm going to watch it again. It right. was so good. Like, this was so bad, it was good. You know, I, I would sort of put it in that category. You know, it it, it was so ridiculous, and I know it. And it was so bad and the effects, you know, some of the some of the effects were bad. The, you know, the acting and the 
you know, everything. It wasn't original and so much of it. I know, I know, but that's sort of the appeal. You know, it's sort of so bad. I can sit back and it's like, you know, I care as much as the filmmakers did right now. Like, I don't. <laughs> I care exactly. not at all. Like, Doc might get something out of this because he, I know he likes a lot yeah. of trauma fans. And there's a, a lot fans. of comfort in that, just sitting back and knowing that I don't care. The filmmakers didn't care. It's just a good time. So who cares? You know, I'm not so serious about it. Right. You know, that I, you know. Uh, yeah, Greg Amortis would probably like this, I think. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I think he would I guess, think uh, it's hilarious. I, I, I don't, I have I don't know. Seen it. What'd you say, Doc? That'd be a tough one. I haven't seen it, so I can't say for sure if, if it's something Greg would like or, or not, but it sounds like, so if it's a, if it's along the lines of like, of like trauma, I do enjoy some of trauma. I don't enjoy all of trauma, but I do enjoy some of their stuff. Like, um, you know, and, and, um, I can and I I have a lot of fun like with Ed Wood movies, you know, <laughs> sitting yes. down watching Ed Wood movies. Now that's a little different because it sounds to me like these guys went for comedy because they you know they felt that's the only way they could really get this thing going. Whereas Ed Wood was seriously trying to make. Oh, he a thought he was a great filmmaker. Movie. Yeah, he thought yeah. he he thought he was like he thought he was going to wow people with his talent, and and they just turned out to be pathetic. So that's a different type of animal here. Um, and Jan Jell, right. uh, uh, Jay. They didn't throw humor into that because it was just it, it. The humor was just that these guys pulled out the video, pulled out the video camera, you know, that they used to like record Christmas morning, and um, decided to go to West Virginia and make a movie. Yeah, but that's what, the whole thing with that. But what's his face? What's his name? Uh, Conrad. Conrad Brooks. Yeah, Conrad, Conrad Brooks. You know that he didn't think this Jane Gell character was a scary monster for a horror movie. I mean, you I, know yeah, he but, didn't think that. Well, no, he and there was comedy in there. They were trying to throw some comedy in there. It was horrible comedy. It wasn't funny comedy. Right. But they did try to throw. But they also were trying to make it. He was trying to make it legitimately scary too. He didn't succeed. It wasn't. He wasn't even slightly scary. But you know, with some of the scenes of of John Gell, John Gell, however the hell you say it, <laughs> going up and like strangling people in the way that they were shooting it, he was legitimately trying to get people trying to trying to scare them. Right. He just did. He just had no skill at it, and he couldn't do it. Yeah. Um. So it sounds to me like in this case, these guys just said, "We know we're not going to be able to do anything. Let's just let's just make this as crazy as we can. Let's turn it into a into a grindhouse movie." Right, and that's what pisses me off because a lot of indies <laughs> do this, and I watch them all the time, and it just affects me because there's so many struggling independent great directors out there that try to make great films or decent films the best they can with their budget. And then you come along and get just people like this that throw out crap, man. This movie is total crap in my eyes, man. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's go into our ratings. By the way, before you do that, I just want to say one thing after the end, you know, when the film ends, it ends on a freeze frame there of Bigfoot. And I agree that he is, a little bit. I mean, this is a beastly freak movie, and the Bigfoot is a tiny bit creepy looking, even though it's obviously a costume, you know, that's kind of ridiculous. But there's a, something cre- weird about it. Do you think so, yeah. Corey? I mean, there's something Absolutely. Uh, that, that kind of like made me, I don't know. Made me think of Thriller, almost, you know, sort of the, the oh, Michael yeah. Jackson werewolf sort of thing. Uh, it had, yeah. you know, that, uh, that's not a very fair comparison because thriller is so superior to this, but, uh, right. That was sort of the scare factor. Um, I'm with you, you know, 
but and, uh, it was good. It was it was actually kind of good for this movie. <laughs> but but you after know? that was over, you know, after the the freeze frame, there's like total blackness, you know, after the end credits, and you're like, okay, they're gonna throw a stinger, they're gonna throw some kind of a jump scare on the very end, <laughs> and I waited for like a minute forty five seconds. And there's just nothing. They just have a long blackness <laughs> at the end of this film. And that's it. Like, nobody cut that off or anything. Nice. So there's no stinger. Nice. But anyway. Um, and what, they were laughing about that, too, the same way that they exactly. were laughing about how terrible a movie. Right. They were, yep. You know, they're just like, right. <laughs> let's put another minute of black at the end just so these these dumbasses just so think. Just <laughs> watches for a stinger. <laughs> yeah. well, I always do that. I always do. It's just a habit. But so, okay, uh-huh. Bill Shetty, what do you rate, uh, dear God, no? <sighs> yeah, this is the lowest form of independent in my eyes. I mean, there is a subgenre even below this, so I can't hit a 0.5, to be honest with you. I'm going to give it a 1.5, Jay, and this is total avoid. Trauma fans might get something out of it. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay. Midnight Corey, what do you give it? What's the lowest rental? rating that we can give here. whatever you want buddy it's totally up to you i give it a three i mean rent it uh, it's <laughs> i mean it, it no I, i'm trying to uh, appeal to a broad range of audiences here you know people that uh, like mainstream horror people that like trauma you know people that like exploitation and it's mm-hmm. it, it's really hard um but Oh, you got to go into this knowing what it is and just maybe having uh, been a, a a fan of exploitation and uh, just ridiculousness. A lot of independent films and you know what you're getting into. And I, I have certain people in my mind right now that uh, are friends of mine, film fans that I know would appreciate this. Um, <laughs> so it's really hard. So I give it a three because you're, you're probably going to hate this. It's probably going to be very terrible and you're not going to want to even make it halfway through this film but um <laughs> i think there is a very special segment of people out there vaughn from motion picture uh, motion picture massacre uh, i would love to uh hear his thoughts on this and uh you know a lot of other people out there that uh, i think will appreciate this for what it is and i'm one of them i mean i didn't hate it and uh mm-hmm. not offended and i i think it was a lot of fun you know it's it's a uh, you know a day at the day at the circus or right. something. You know, it's crazy. It really <laughs> right. was. Right. And yeah, there's all. It seems like when we when we did the weekly horror movie podcast, there was always one movie that was kind of a just a conversation piece. And I think this is the that pick for this yeah. particular episode. This is very odd. It's peculiar, weird, bizarre. It's awkward, and it's kind of funny sometimes. And for someone like me of my sensibilities, I it's kind of um vile and you know rubs it's against my grain but um did it did you get a knot in your stomach in that middle scene jay when the rapes and stuff started happening because i like i felt almost like physically sick because it was such a farce of a movie and then it just went where I didn't think it was going to go, to be honest with you. And it's Last House on the Left. You've seen Last House on the Left. It's the same thing, but sort of less. But but I think it's... It's nowhere close. Well, (sighs) it's it's kind of... It's a little bit different in Animal, I think, and it's hard to really articulate this, but it's because of how... um, They weren't just brutal. 
you know, but they were also like mocking and trying to be funny during those scenes. And that's what's like, that's what kind of like <laughs> shorted out my mind. It's like, no, no, you don't, you don't make jokes while you're doing this, you know, to someone. So uh, I don't know. So I, this is definitely not for everybody. And uh, for me, it's a, I agree with Corey because I, I do respect is really a stretch for a word, but I, I think that some of it, you know, with their gore effects, I think some of it for is no budget. I think there's some heart put in there with their gore effects. I'm not saying it's tremendous. It's not Tom Savini, but I was I was not expecting it to them to pull it off as well as I think they did. I thought it was going to be way worse. And um, like with the Bigfoot and stuff. So it's for me, it's a three as well. But I still say avoid it because this is just hard to watch, basically, for on, on lots of levels. So anyway, there you go. <clears throat> Good times, right? Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Time. Yeah. Doc, are you going to rent this now? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always interested to, to, to check out <laughs> with like if it's if, like movies that could be like a train wreck <laughs> that have that potential. I'm always interested to check those kind of things out. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but but again, like I said, I do enjoy I like some uh, trauma films and and uh, and whatnot. All right. And at this point in the weekly horror movie podcast reunion, uh, we have a little special surprise for you. Typically, we would just cover four movies, but um, we're so grateful and flattered that you guys asked to have us do this show again. We thought we'd give you a bonus review. So here's a bonus review of a brand new film, but I got a special little intro on this one as well. I'm one sick puppy of the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast, and I'm right behind you. We're listening to Horror Movie Podcast. Let's listen to our fiendish friends review Stage Fright from 2014. I think about mom a lot. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. You actually want to compete with those theater geeks? Those kids aren't normal, Ken. Artie will be announcing this summer's Limelight production. Hot thing on the opera! Your mother's role? She would be proud. What is at the heart of haunting? A love story about... It's about covering. Covering up who you really are. Okay. You know, I thought that was still the trailer going on. Like, bodies getting <laughs> chopped up and stuff, but it wasn't. That's funny. Okay. Well, that was the trailer for Stage Fright from 2014. And basically, we just picked this because it is current and it's brand new. People are talking about it, and we thought we'd review it for you. So take it away, Midnight Corey. All right. I'm sorry there is a one-line synopsis of this on IMDb, which I just pulled up, so uh, we got to go with it. But uh, a snobby musical theater camp is terrorized by a bloodthirsty killer who hates musical theater. I don't think that's accurate at all. I don't either. Uh, That's pretty (laughs) terrible, actually. There's a lot more to this than that. Uh, But that's what we have to work with tonight. Um, So, Jay, why don't why don't you think that's that's accurate? Okay, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's, in terms of the premise. I mean, basically, you have we see it at the beginning of the film. The film opens with this performance where this lady afterwards is murdered. And it's not a spoiler because, like I said, it's the beginning of the film. And then later, 
you know, when her daughter is older, 10 years later, her daughter reprises this same role, right? And you have a killer associated with this production too. Presumably the same killer, we don't know. So how's that sound? Is that okay for premise? No, yeah, yeah. No, that, uh, no spoilers, anything? No. Okay, well, let's... Uh, the first thing we should say is this is um, a remake. I don't know to what extent or how accurate it is be- or how faithful it is. I mean, because Wolfman Josh, I know, is very familiar with the original from like 1987. And I'm bummed that he's not here to talk about that with us. But um, so we got this new one here. And I wanted to ask you guys, I wanted to talk about the concept of horror musical and let's just go around. I'll start with Dr. Shock. How do you feel about horror musicals? <laughs> I can get, you know what? It, it depends. I, I don't know that they work in straight up horror. You know, it, it's almost like they have to be a, a certain type of movie um, to work, you know, and, and, and uh, I don't know. I, 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 <laughs> I enjoy, I can enjoy them. I can, I can enjoy them, but at the same time, I don't know that I don't know that it would work with like a like a straight up horror movie. Okay, you know, I I think it works more in a certain type of movie where they're throwing a little bit of levity in there. For some reason, I keep I keep going to like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that. I can enjoy Rocky Horror Picture Show, but by the same token, I'm not going to be scared during Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, I I like the music, and I'm just going to sort of be entertained by the story and whatnot, but. I think in that type of situation, it can work. Um, but a straight-up horror, I think it's it's an interesting choice, but I don't know if it could be like a totally successful one. Okay. And what do you say, uh, Midnight Corey? Oh, yeah. Straight-up horror, I think it's really, really difficult to pull off. I think uh, the most effectiveness is in the extremes, you know, in the juxtaposition mm-hmm. with, um, you know, the the terror, the horror of horror films, you know, sort of that whole negativity being put right alongside uh, the the joy and the happiness and the singing and dancing of musicals. <laughs> well said. You know, it's such a juxtaposition and I think very brilliant. And if you put it together just right, I think it's effective, but I don't think you can really call that combination like a, a straight horror film or a straight musical or anything. I mean, it's... It's really difficult. It's it's. I think it works when it works, but it's so hard to to put into like horror. You know, something that's going to scare you. Um, you know, because I think of films like Cannibal the Musical and Repo the Genetic Opera. You know, and and uh, you know even this film. And now you know they have parts that are scary. Yeah, but uh, you know again they they're singing and dancing and. <laughs> a lot of that kind of thing and it's sort of a weird weird sort of combination of a lot of different art forms and yeah it works on a lot of levels but it doesn't it doesn't work on i think some very traditional levels like horror yeah Um, so it's it's really tough it's a very interesting um sort of mashup of a lot of genres here and uh something fun to talk about my feelings are um similar to yours so i'll just chime in here before we hear from bill shetty but um i should say i don't love comedies i don't really seek out comedies because even in my regular movie watching 
you know, I go for thrillers or crime films, right? If I'm not doing horror. And so comedies are not really my thing. And then I despise musicals. This is probably my least favorite genre. And so I was thinking about that. It's like, I'm, I'm not crazy about horror comedies. And I know why those came about, because like you said, and we've talked about this before, you know, the biggest distance you can go from fear, you know, is the, the laughter. And so the filmmakers want you to travel that emotional spectrum, you know, so you can go from being scared to laughing to being scared again. Well, this is even farther, I think. So I, I want to just second what you said. It's crazy because musicals are always, you know, typically so happy and upbeat. And as you said, they're dancing and singing. But for me, I mean, it really takes me out of it and it really bothers me. Now, having said that, you know, I'll talk about this film. I, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it, even though I was really resistant to it, not excited about it, didn't want to see it, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I, if it were up to me, I wouldn't really want horror musicals to be made. Bill Shetty, now I know that you liked Don't Go in the Woods from 2010. So let's hear from your feelings. Yeah, that was on my top 10 list. And I don't really call that a musical. There was music in it. When I think of the term horror musical, I'm thinking like this movie we're covering, Stage Fright, singing, gay singing, laughter, goofy lines, theater type music, opera type music, things like that. I think of musical. But Don't Go in the Woods had actual somber pop some rock type tunes in it so it's not even really the same classification in my mind and don't go in the woods was a slasher and it was brilliant i'm going to use the term how they made that film now thinking back um cory mentioned a couple and then i think of always sweeney todd yeah which was dark very dark, actually, in scenes. Uh-huh. Johnny Depp, I'm not a huge fan of, but it was a decent movie. Um, this is even a different flavor of horror musical than that movie. So I think there's even sub-subgenres in this category, and I think it is tough to make it work. I think you got to like the music that's involved in it, or you're not going to like the movie, period. I don't care how well it's made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Bill Shetty, while you're talking, then what did you think of Stage Fright? Yeah, I got immediately turned off, you know, the opening 10 minutes of them singing and dancing, the kids and the goofy lines, and I don't even remember the words they were saying, but it was outlandish and not a big meatloaf fan either. He's (laughs) in it a lot. Yeah. Now, there is some decent gory scenes in this, but as... Everybody knows I hate comedy and horror. And what I hated most about this, even though it got really tense, give you an example. There's a scene where some sort of, uh, what was it, like a pipe wrench goes into a guy's foot. Mm-hmm. And he's stuck yeah, there. That was great. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was great scene, right? The killer comes up with the mask. We got a mask killer. Love that. Okay, so during this little struggle here he looks over and then there's a bright glowing box with like knives or whatever in it they turned that whole scene into like a comedy type scene which completely got me out of the scene Mm -hmm. even though the gore was good the initial scares were good it just turned wacky to a scene that i didn't like you know what i mean Mm. yeah i get it okay 
What do you say, Midnight Corey? Uh, yeah, I mean, there were... <sighs> I had such a hard time, like, keeping myself in the whole horror um, mm-hmm. atmosphere, and uh, it was really tough. And I did not identify Meatloaf until probably a good halfway into the film. Um, seeing him a much thinner version of himself with a mustache. Um, yeah. Seriously, I didn't know that was him. I'm like, when's Meatloaf going to come out? Like, <laughs> I, I was maybe I'm dumb or something. Seriously, I just remember him as, uh, you know, Bob with the bitch tits from Fight Club. And, you know, that was. Um, but uh, no, I was I was thrown off. And uh, again, Bill, I, I share your sentiments, man. I was totally uh, questioning if I had even started the right movie for this show because I'm like, <laughs> I'm watching horror films and all of a sudden it's a musical, people are singing and dancing. I'm like, what's going on? And then, you know, eventually you catch on. Okay, you know, you got the whole horror thing with the theater and, and whatever. Okay. Um, but I was just, I was, I was actually like, first off, I, I'm probably not going to finish this and I'm going to let these guys know on the podcast that I didn't, uh, want to watch this at all it's just not up my alley i don't like Neither this kind of I. thing you know Neither and but but i watched it and i kept watching it and i'm like oh my god i can't believe it sort of went this way because it did surprise me several times it's pretty watchable isn't it it is it is and it, it hooks me in and you know they you know to use your words bill you know it had a whole like kind of gay singing thing with the musicals <laughs> and and whatever and and yeah, I'm I'm not a big musical guy myself, but uh, this I <laughs> it was fun. It really was, and uh, um, but I do have to say it was very predictable. Actually, I, I sort of yes. uh, I saw the ending. I called the ending um, probably about two thirds of the way through. Um, I had it whittled down to who I thought was going to be mm-hmm. the killer. And then, uh, you know, going on, I was, I was pretty sure. And then, yeah, I got to the end and I was, uh, I was right on. But, uh, so, you know, it, it was sort of, you know, you make scream a musical, you know, it had the, you know, the whole sort of scream killer, um, yes. uh, going on. So I thought of that film as well. So, uh, yeah, and uh, I was not impressed with Meatloaf's vocals in this. Actually, I thought uh, <laughs> he's showing his age. No, seriously, I've always thought he was a great vocalist, but I was not impressed with the with the, how he sang in this. Yeah, he lost, like, this deepness tone. You know what I was mean? It was real high pitch. He was very tone deaf <laughs> you know, to me. I, I don't think he hit any damn note he was given uh, in the whole movie, but uh, that's neither... Here nor there as far as horror goes. <laughs> right. You know what, Jay? This this movie kind of reminds me of Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3, to be honest. <laughs> she starts singing. Wow. You know what I mean? It's got that real goofy vibe to it. You know, not as serious, but it just has that really lighthearted atmosphere of what horror is. Even though this goes places that don't. But that, that singing interluding every so often, it just... You're in and out, and it's kind of weak. But, you know, there is something about the movie, I'll agree with both of you, that kept you wanting to see where it was going to go. Well, I have a theory on that. Honestly, I credit the lead actress, Allie McDonald. Um, There's something about her. She's kind of bewitching or something. I was 
I was really interested in her and watching her and following her. I mean, she's attractive, okay, but but also I I think she does a really nice job. And because I don't know, I cared about her as a character, not like oh I'm so worried about this girl, but I liked her. You know, I was kind of rooting right. for her and I wanted to see what was going to happen to her. And yes, she's easy on the eyes. So, uh, but I I do think that there's something about her that um, there's a charisma, there's like a screen presence that she kind of drew me in. And and there's some humor. And again, I told you I'm not, I don't love comedies, period, especially horror comedies. And there are some really funny lines. I mean, they make fun of theater. You know, they kind of oh, po- yeah. poke at it. And um, I laughed out loud a couple times, actually. And it, yeah, it frustrated. Did you pick up the uh, Jesus Christ Superstar? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of whole line they did? Yeah. Right. It's like they did a whole lot of homages to uh, musicals and uh there's, yeah, they they did it well. There are even oh, nods yeah. to other horror films in this, which oh, are, yeah. are kind of oh, yeah. cool. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I appreciate that. You know, well, there, have you ever seen? Uh, uh, it's either opera or terror at the opera, uh, an Argento film. No, not opera. I haven't so seen opera. Ma- oh my god, Bill, Bill, have you seen that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. I was I was thinking of this the whole time. I'm like, this is terror at the opera, or you know, opera, whatever. Yep. Um, it it had so much. I mean, everything, all the, the you know the 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 atmosphere and the so many of the scenes. It was uh, totally doing homage to that, and it was it was like a musical version of that to a lot of extents. I think exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And then Jay someday will get around to reviewing that. I, I know, know that's been our Nosferatu <laughs> for me. <laughs> it has. Oh man, we're uh-huh. definitely going to review it because I want to. Yeah, I want to watch that with you for sure, and we'll talk about it. But um, I better than this, buddy. <laughs> well, so uh, you know, I know somebody who will probably like this, for example, and I would say um, Kenny People Caperton, Kenny Caperton, oh, the Pumpkin King, because he, he, I do remember that, in when you guys did that top ten of the decade, he had Sweeney Todd in his top ten list. So I bet you know he seems to be open to horror musicals. So someone like him. Who loves Sweeney Todd? I think he might you appreciate this so much, Jay. Just because he likes Sweeney Todd, that is such a different feel of a movie <laughs> than this. I don't even yeah. think it's close, really. That's what I was trying to describe earlier. Okay, I know the Pumpkin King listens to this podcast once in a while. So, uh, Kenny, watch Stage Fright and let us know what you think. I'm betting that you'll dig it. I'm just saying. I think you will. <laughs> but um, so I mean, who do you guys think would? would appreciate a film like this somebody that likes theater goofy theater style music like that would really like it and like buy it yeah that's yeah, it Jim. like a repo you know if you like repo you guys have seen that the genetic opera mm-hmm. um i think that kind of that kind of person that really really sort of digs that kind of thing um yeah i don't know it's uh <laughs> wow it's such a weird mashup you know i don't know weird. you like theater you know or you know have you seen arsenic and old lace and you enjoyed it or <laughs> you know, death of a salesman i don't know I, you know and you, you sort of like horror films too you like this yeah you know it, it, it's so weird i i don't know okay yeah and it's it's honestly i find this film a little bit difficult to talk about in a review because you can't go into a lot of specifics because it's a pretty simple story, and any specific things you talk about could potentially be uh, spoilery. I mean, I I look through my notes here, 
and I don't have a I lot of talking points. I think they get the idea, Jay. There's a killer loose in the theater while they're performing a play, getting ready for the big night. Well, that's what you I'm know, saying. You got some kills going on. It's it's slash. It's a slasher film. Yeah, just added with the musical element. And that and that's what I'm saying. There's not a whole lot more to say about this film than what we've yeah. said so far. Honestly, like I, I mean. So let's wrap it up here and give our final thoughts and our ratings. And then we'll start off with the midnight Corey. What do you think? Ah, wow. Again. uh, And so many, such a segmented audience that uh, might enjoy this. (laughs) I don't know, man, I really enjoyed it and I am going to watch it again and I'll give it a six because of that. I'm going to go back and like I said, watch it and, and enjoy it and maybe pick up something else again. Uh, a lot went on there that uh, I'm not sure that uh, I was, uh, you know, quite aware of. But uh, great, great movie. I, I, it was fun. I mean, I don't uh, don't always like these kind of movies, but a lot of fun and not scary. Right. Not scary. You know, rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Corey, I was going to ask you that. Uh, Did you like the part where he was doing some killing and he was really banging uh, on the guitar and things like that? Did no, you like that? No, that was, that was retarded, man. That was so bad. That was, that was like he had the guitar and he's like, rock and roll. Drum. You know, big power chord. Yeah, like, so, give me a break. This was in Driller Killer, like, you know, 30 years ago, and I didn't like that. Um, so, you know. Yeah, so the killer, listeners out there, the killer sings, you know, in like a heavy metal voice kind of screechy. Falsetto. Yeah. Falsetto. Very. And Jay, I'll tell you, I'll say this. For people that don't watch a lot of horror, they could be fooled by that groundskeeper, buddy. <laughs> I want. I, sure. I, I was, but wasn't at the same time. I'm like, they are no, 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 Bill. No, no, no. Before let me clarify. They set him up. They wanted me to think that he was going to be the killer. You know what I mean? They were, they were totally, it was blaring, punching me in the face. Yeah. This is going to be at the guy. This is going to be the guy at the end of the movie who is the killer. (laughs) Um, so, but I, you know, never mind. No spoilers. Yeah. But, uh, he, Damn it! No spoilers. All right, right. right. <laughs> I got you. So you're saying this is a six, Corey, and you say rent it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rent it. Six. Okay. Yeah. Bill Shetty, what do you say? All right. This is a four point five. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a void. The musical just took too much down for me, but I did get through it. But I can't even recommend a rent, Jay. So avoid it. But you had fun, right? I didn't have fun. No, I didn't have fun. You, didn't, oh, you got up and you you were dancing. You you, Bill, were, you didn't do show tunes at the end of this? <laughs> God, no, man. Like <laughs> This is a movie that I will forget tomorrow, man. Never think of it again. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I just want to tell people out there, again, I despise musicals. I really do. I hate them. But um, Allie McDonald, I'm telling you, this is pretty watchable. It's pretty fun. Um Like these guys have said, you know, it's not a super strong horror film because of the musical elements, but, but it's just, it's just plain fun. So it's a five out of 10 for me. And I say rent it. I mean, you've heard our review, so you can know if it's up your alley, but, um, you know, it's, it's more fun than you're expecting it to be for sure. All right, you guys, 
I think that just about wraps up the reunion portion of Horror Movie Podcast episode 15. And once again, I really want to thank my pals here for getting together tonight. I think the listeners are going to enjoy this episode. And before we um, move out of this section into our feature review of The Quiet Ones with my other buddies there, I want to go around the horn here and just hear if we have any final words from my co-hosts what your thoughts are and and make sure you throw out all your plugs so the listeners know where they can catch up with you guys now so let's start out with you midnight Corey. wow um all right doing a lot of things but thank you thank you jay for having me on tonight this was so awesome i miss this dynamic um <laughs> and it was it was like consummate whenever teratovi was on but uh yeah you know, that was very brief, and I, I miss that, but uh, I'm just so thankful for being here tonight. Um, yeah, evilepisodes.com. I'm there, not right now, but usually. Um, and here pretty soon, hopefully. Devilhorns.org is my other one. Uh, MidnightCory.com, MidnightPodcast.com. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, did I whore myself enough for? Well, uh... well no. Can you can you talk about the, the electric chair a little bit? Because oh yeah, I, yeah, well, I sort of uh, yeah. I haven't done that for a while. Um, yeah, I sort of quit doing that, and I don't know why. Um, and I think it was because uh, actually Mike Zombie came on the show, and he was like, "Dude, let's not talk about horror. Let's just talk about metal," because a lot of horror fans love heavy metal music. And I'm like, "Okay, why not?" And then we did that, and I'm like, Mike. That was brilliant, so let's do a metal show. And then we started doing Devil Horns, and I sort of didn't do the electric chair anymore. And it's still out there at electricchairshow.com. And it's not like it's it's gone, but uh, I just haven't <laughs> put out a show for a long, long time. I got you. Um, but uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, had a lot of really great people on there, and something might pop up again soon. So who knows? All right. That sounds but Thank good. you, Jay. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here, and congrats again on the new baby. So, <laughs> thank you. All right, and what about you, Bill Shetty? Let's hit, let's hear them. Uh, just one plug anymore. You'll find all the information horrorontheGo.com. You know, Facebook's there, Twitter, all that. Check out my new show, Solo Cast. Bunch more features coming rapidly. I can tell you that. I even started working on my top 10 lists. I got quite a bit done on the previous shows. I'm typing them all in the show notes before I start putting the links up there. But Planet Macabre is up there. I think all the horror jungle shows are up there. And then I'm going to start on the uh, older shows too, getting all the links so you can download them. And those are going to stay up there permanently. Just come over, throw your email address up top there to subscribe, and uh, you'll get notified when new shows come out. That's it, Jay. I appreciate it. And uh, Corey, I'm going to ask you publicly here. We got to collaborate on one show together, me and you, man. Yin? Let's do it, man. <laughs> Let me know. I'm up Awesome, there. man. It was fun, man. I did miss Tara, yeah. but it's nice talking <laughs> with you again, Corey. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's been fun. Thank you. I can't wait to hear that show. That'll be awesome. Yeah, it'll be interesting. All right. And the Mad Doctor, what do you got for us? Uh, just great to get back together with everyone here, you know, with Bill Shetty and, and, uh, and Corey. And, and thank God, to, uh, you know, uh, Teratobi was able to call in for a little bit anyway. So we had all five of us on again for, for briefly. Um, 
just a great time. Thank you guys for for coming together. Thank you, Jay, for putting this together. You know, and uh, and um, letting us all come back together like this again. Um, check me out at dvdinfatuation.com. That's my blog. Um, I'm DVD Infatuation on Twitter. And um, obviously, the uh, along with the horror movie podcast, I'm also on Land of the Crease with uh, Greg Amortis and, uh, and Haddonfield Hatchet. And um, we get some guests on there every now and again, too. So um, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah, it was great having you guys. And I also want to say, you know, had Wolfman Josh been able to make it, we would have also done kind of a horror metropolis type of reunion, too. But he's on horror movie podcast all the time. But I, I will say I did miss that guy. He's kind of my nemesis. Yes. <laughs> and, and um, I like having him on here. He uh, keeps me straight. He's a good friend of mine, too, to be honest. So, all right, you guys. Well, I thank you again. Uh, sincerely, uh, this was um, a lot of fun for me, and it means a lot. And uh, I'll send you off now. And at this point, listeners, let's keep on moving along with episode 15 of Horror Movie Podcast. All right. So as you hear this recording right now, this portion is recorded one week after the portion that you just heard of the reunion show. <laughs> the weekly horror movie podcast and so boy that was a lot of fun and i'm grateful those guys were there and just as an update for the listeners as soon as we stopped the recording we were talking and the guys all had a good time midnight Corey and bill shetty and dr shock and they said you know what we should do this again let's do it in like you know summertime late summer so probably in august we'll be doing another one of those reunion shows so hopefully if you guys still liked it and enjoyed it, then we're bringing it back again in a couple months. So that'll be fun. And at this point, to help me uh, carry out the balance of the show, I want to welcome back the unknown murderer. Hey, Jay. Hey, buddy. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, actually. I, I'm glad to have your help. Um, typically, One Sick Puppy joins us as well, but he was unable to do it at this time. He had to step out tonight. He has some things to attend to. So you and I will take it on home, huh, Levi? Yes, we will. Especially considering what we're going to be talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I know. Oh, my goodness. So for the listeners that just tuned in for the review of The Quiet Ones, the new Hammer film that just hit theaters this weekend, um, Levi and I are here to do that for you. But before we do that, you were telling me some neat stuff. You said you were rearranging your films today and sorting through your movies. And and can you say on here, so how many genre films do you have again? Can you say? Um, just about 700. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I like to say that. And then I think someone has a bigger collection than me. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always a bigger fish, right? But still. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's impressive. And you said you found some, when we were talking off air, Levi, you said you were you found some VHSs that you didn't even realize that you had. So can you name off some of those titles for us? I, I'm really intrigued now. Absolutely. It is a joy when you dig through your movies that you haven't looked at in months and you realize, I have this? <laughs> nice. Like, yeah, I have George Romero's Martin, which was the big one that was down in the bottom oh. behind all the other ones. And I, I <laughs> you know, I've been wanting to buy that on DVD. I thought, you know, I heard about it on a podcast recently and I thought, man, I really would love to watch that again. And I completely forgot that at some point I'd picked it up. 
that was that was the that was the big one. And then I've also got Beastmaster two and three, which <laughs> <laughs> the third one is. Uh, well, I think the second one is written by Jim Wynorski, and then the third one has Casper Van Dyne in it. So I don't I don't think that's gonna go well, but I've got to try it. Oh yeah, I'd be interested in hearing your reviews of this. Now I loved the first Beastmaster. I mean, I was obsessed oh, with that too. film. Me too. So. But I don't even think I've seen two and three, to be honest with you. <laughs> I haven't either. <laughs> they sound sketchy. Those were from the nineties, right? Like, yeah, they are. They both are. And just, I mean, just the fact that they're Beastmaster two and three, and Don Coscarelli's not involved, it is sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. What else and did you find in there? I've got my the dorm the drip drip blood VHS tape that I got from you. Yeah, you won that, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. I was the one per. I was probably the one person that said, "Yeah, I'll take that." Oh, and uh, dude, I, that movie's terrible. <laughs> thank you so much. You know, I love I'm it. I'm gonna say it right now. Jay was totally right. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait. the special effects in that movie are just god awful. I don't understand why everyone was okay with it. Now, now I want to make sure that, um, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm fair here as a host. Now, right. I, Dr. Shock is not on the show, unfortunately, as we record this. And he was one of the, the people fighting with me. So just right. as context here, because this is a juicy discussion that we've <laughs> happened on to. Back on episode 10, the final episode of Horror Metropolis, um, we, uh, the Doc's pick, his theme was Slasher U, and one of those films that he chose was The Dorm That Drip Blood from 1982. It's also known as Pranks. And anyway, we reviewed it, and I'll be honest with you, Levi, when I listened back to that, when I was reposting all the episodes again, yeah. I, I kind of hated myself during that episode. <laughs> and And so if anybody listens to that and you're mad at me, I totally deserve it. I was so obnoxious because... I kept well, belaboring to make, you, to make you feel better. Yeah. I I don't agree with you a lot. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but, right, but in this case, man, I was completely on your side with that movie. I was like, "How is this? How does this fly with anybody?" Because I watched this movie, I wanted to go to sleep, and the special effects were horrendous. And I was, <laughs> I thought you, <laughs> your hate for that film was justified in this case and <laughs> if anybody looks at the the boards you know with the comments they know that i pick on jay a lot right about his opinions so it's not like i agree with him all the time right but yeah with this one it just man it just stunk but i have the tape sitting there because I'm like dude jay sent that to me so yeah absolutely <laughs> well and I, as i look at the ratings here i gave that a four out of ten and i called it an avoid it's about right <laughs> Thank you. And Bill Shetty said it's a 7.5. He said, buy it. Dr. Shock, who was fighting for the film quite a bit, he gave it an 8 and said, buy it. And then our guest that show was Lexi Wise, and she gave it a 7 and said, rental. And Tara Tovey did not see it. But um, I'm so glad that somebody else in the world agrees with me once in a while. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> so many other slashers to watch. Now, see, you're going to get heat probably for even saying that because a lot of people i don't think it's just those guys a lot of people kind of revere that movie and um you know for oh, me here's man. here's the thing levi did you see um probably my most one of my most controversial reviews ever in horror was for the dead next door now have you seen that from 1989 i, I think i watched about 15 minutes of that before i gave up <laughs> 
Thank you again. See, now that's a, it, those two are kind of like in league with each other. I mean, they're yeah. both like low budget indie horror. And, you know, on one hand, I guess you could be, you could, you know, admire them to some extent. But the other movies that were always weighing them against, like, and I'm not just talking The Shining or The Thing, but I mean, there are lots of movies. There's a whole big spectrum in the way that people defend The Dead Next Door and Dorm the Drip Blood. I know that I'm in the minority minority there, but but man, I, I just can't see why people are so voracious in their defense. Yeah, I did hear good things about both of those movies um, before I watched them, which is why I, I checked them out. And um, man, you know, I just I don't get it either. I uh, Man, that's weird. <laughs> it's not like my expectations were blown through the roof or anything. I didn't hear that much about them that really got me set up to expect something, you know, fantastic. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of odd. <laughs> I'm sure though, there's you know, there's something that I like that totally sucks. <laughs> yeah. That people say, why why did he like that movie so much? You know, and I'm just going, Don't you see it? Like uh, right. you know, quick plug roll, but uh boss and I we we talk about this movie criminally insane. Um, on Terror Troop next week, uh, when that when that launches, and um, oh god, the movie's hilarious. <laughs> I have not seen that. Now, is that as I pull it up here? Is that the one from like 1975? Exactly. It's <laughs> only an hour of your life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the cover looks very sketchy, Levi. Why? Why do we, you like this? Like, because. I am amused through the whole film to the point where I'm laughing out loud by myself and my wife who watched it with me the first time I saw it. And she thought it was funny. Even when she comes down the stairs the second time and she sees me and then <laughs> looks at the computer and says, what are you watching? And she sees what it is and she just nods her head. Like you watched it too. And you liked it. <laughs> I, I, oh no. I just want to warn the listeners out there looking at this cover. It seems like you're trying to trick us into another Jan, no. Gal, Jan Gal experience no. here. Me? You, <laughs> you and Boss started that. I haven't even watched it yet. I can't wait, but it's, I think I might enjoy Jan Gal a lot. <laughs> you haven't you haven't seen that yet? I haven't. Um oh, I gotta get goodness. to it. <laughs> when you when you played the dialogue clips in that movie, I was la- I was sitting in the lunchroom at work and I'm listening <laughs> to the podcast while I'm on a on a PC and I had my back turned to everybody. I probably looked like an idiot because when you started playing the dialogue clips, I would laugh so hard I was crying. <laughs> oh, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it just sounded so good to me, and I realized I'm looking like a total fool over here. I probably ought to really get this contained, but that dialogue just really hits me just right. So I, I need to watch that. That's hilarious. Well, you better keep those beers going that you were referring to earlier if you're going to watch that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'll need him. Criminally insane. You can watch that without beer, and it's just hilarious. <laughs> All right. Well, um, now that we're warmed up, this is great. I'm so glad that you're on here and that we're both kind of wound up for this Quiet Ones review. And right before we get into that, I just want to tell the listeners out there, um, we're going to have some changes coming, but they're good changes, so don't worry. I feel like they're good changes because, um, honestly, uh, we get a lot of very nice compliments from the listeners. And, and to be honest, like I, I feel just so undeserving of some of it. Like, I mean, so people are really nice and I want to step up our game and improve the podcast even further. And so we're going to make some good changes that I think are positive. And I'm, I'm being vague on purpose because I don't have, um, 
Wolfman Josh and Doc here to talk about them yet. So maybe in the next episode, we'll give you some specifics. But, you know, after having the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast guys back on earlier in this episode, it just kind of brought back to my attention. It's like, you know, I like the show, but I think we could step it up even a little bit more and and try to be more deserving of the kindness that the listeners have shown us. So I just wanted to get people ready for that and get them pumped for that. And at this time, we're going to move into our feature review of The Quiet Ones. What is the supernatural? What if you could prove that the supernatural was merely a manifestation of what already exists in the mind? If we can cure one patient, we cure all mankind. All right. Now, The Unknown Murderer is here, and I want to talk to you about this. Now, this is this is a Hammer film, right? Yes. I, I read that right in the, in the credits. Yeah, by name. <laughs> yeah, by name. And I tell you, um, well, let, let me just say this. I hated this movie, and, I, and I'll, I'll just put it out there right now. Even before we get into the premise, I hated this movie, and I think there was a glaring, there's a huge, right at the beginning of the movie, they, they put something, Levi, that, that tells me it's a sign that this is going to suck. Well, based on actual events? <laughs> <laughs> no, that is wasn't that it? it, but I guess oh. you, you could be, I mean, that wasn't what I was thinking of, but yeah, that, that could be indicative, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I saw a video, according to Dread Central, that supposedly inspired this film, and it was a bunch of old people sitting around a table on some TV show in the early 70s, and, oh, they all put their hands on the table and made it float. And I'm thinking, I don't think that inspired the quiet ones, but... <laughs> oh, boy. And yeah, I, I wasn't quite right. And what's funny about that, what you just described, is I don't remember even seeing a scene where the table floated in that, in that way in this movie. So No. So that's funny. <laughs> but no, in the beginning, as they're given the credits, it says... And maybe maybe I'm wrong about this, so maybe you have more insights. But it says, based on the screenplay by Tom DeVille, okay? So, okay. this is based on the screenplay by him. But then, the actual screenplay for this film is written by three different people. Craig Rosenberg, Oren Moverman, and John Pogue. And John Pogue also directed. Now, so what that told me, and I don't know if this is in fact true, but it, it made me really nervous. Um what it told me is that there was a script of this, and then for whatever reason, they didn't like it. And so you had these script doctors come in, quote unquote, and you had, and it took three people to try to put something together. And then by the, by the time the film was over, I'm like, yep, that seems like that's what happened because this thing <laughs> is a mess. What did you think? Um, yeah, you know what? From a, a script level, I couldn't quite tell what was wrong with it, but... And at this point, it's just because I'm no movie critic. I um I have to go intuitively as far as uh, you know feeling goes. Unless something's really glaring, I have to go as far as how I feel. Okay. With uh, you know the plot and the characters and what they're saying to each other. In this case, it seemed like the pieces were in place. Like they basically had what it, man. This is tough. I've been thinking about it all day. I'm dead serious. <laughs> They had the basic pieces in place, but they couldn't pull it together in a way that worked with all of those loud noises through the whole movie. Oh, amen. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know what? That was the number one thing that annoyed me. I totally agree. Please, Levi, describe to the listeners. 
like their their approach on these jump scares. Within the first 10 minutes, there were at least three really loud noise jump scares, which is a huge pet peeve of mine. Now, it can work in a movie if you use it at the right moments and you use it very sparingly. And in my opinion, two or three at the most through an entire film is all you need. But when you have a 90-minute film and it's probably filled with nearly two dozen <laughs> examples of really loud noises that are specifically created just to make you jump, it gets to be a bit irritating, especially when they're not creating the director's not creating an atmosphere that's necessary in right. order to make me feel dread. Yep. When um you've got a sympathetic character and a wonderful actress at the center of the film. Yes. Who is drawing all the sympathy on the world that you need and even a, a main lead who is doing a fantastic job mm -hmm. of connecting you to her. You've got the nasty scientist who um, has hidden motives that, you know, and boy, that's going off in a cliche just a bit, um, who's doing <laughs> a wonderful job of, uh, you know, becoming the antagonist that you fear. All of these actors did a great job with what seemed to be very little. And I, I swear, this director, he made Quarantine 2, which I actually really liked quite a bit. Mm -hmm. It was a sequel to Quarantine with a bunch of sickies on a plane in an airport. And I, I liked it. <laughs> I don't remember all the loud noises in that movie. But for some reason, <laughs> he took this script, which had some of the emotional pieces that were necessary it had a really decent backstory for what's going on with the Jane Harper character, but then he just used blaring sound effects over the whole movie instead of actually building any real tension, any suspense. Um, he didn't work my emotions at all. Right. It was just barely there, and it was covered up by all that noise, man. It was I am, <laughs> I'm almost 40. I don't think I'm that old, but <laughs> right. I love metal. I love heavy metal music, but the loud noises in a movie theater are starting to drive me nuts a little bit. Well, see, here, and I want to underscore what you're saying, because actually, you describe that far more articulate, <laughs> articulately and intelligently than I ever could. And, and so, just to put it in my own simple, dumb way, the movie is boring. They have it, it's very quiet, very, like, I mean, there are scenes that are just so spare Nothing's happening and it's very quiet and you know that jump scares are coming. But then like <laughs> if the volume is at like a 0.5 level, then they come in with a sound or a noise that's not even as I mean, most of them are fake scares that are like 100. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just all the time. And it's like this is so I mean, I was seriously it's beyond annoying. I mean, it was like. And it got to the point with this movie, and I'm not even exaggerating, that I was like, how much more is there of this? I cannot stand this movie. I cannot wait to get out of the theater. <laughs> and I I honestly, I don't walk out of movies. I, I would have walked out of this movie if I weren't reviewing it. and Because right. I had to see how it ends. So, um, let's, let's give them the premise in case people aren't familiar. Because, let's be honest, it's not super clear from that trailer. I mean, okay. I mean, I wasn't a hundred percent clearer from the trailer. So, so tell them what this is about, Levi. Well, a university professor named, um, Joseph Coupland and a team of students conduct an experiment on a young woman, um, uncovering a dark and unexpected force in the process. And what they're trying to do is he theorizes, um, completely from a scientific level 
Uh, he doesn't believe that there's a spiritual realm. Uh, he theorizes that what he can do is he can take this dark um, power or part of her identity or past experience or whatever it is, and by putting her through different experimental tests, he can actually draw the uh, well, you know, draw whatever's broken out of her identity and draw it out of her body entirely. Um, which I thought was a really interesting premise. I thought this was going to be fun. But um, <laughs> by about the third set piece where it was just loud noises and dropping cameras and things, I was, <laughs> I was getting more stressed out than entertained. I, um, yeah. You know, and I've got a question for you, to be absolutely honest. I, okay. and I'm not going to razz you because you know how I feel about Insidious 2. <laughs> uh, I know, I know. You didn't like that one like I did. No. I, you know, that, that movie, to be fair, I thought they were trying to go for kind of a, a carnival spook house feeling. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that movie is more successful than this one, sadly. Yes. And I don't, don't like that movie. Um, but I think they were going for a, <laughs> a carnival spook house uh, setup. Like if you were to go into one of those, <laughs> give the carny your two dollars, and you walk into this, you know, you know this fun house, and and it's completely dark, and then all of a sudden a light comes on, and there's a Halloween mask, and it yells at you. That's insidious too. But <laughs> what is the difference for you with this movie compared to that? Considering the loud noises in Insidious too, that was the thing that drove me nuts about that movie. Was there a better emotional hook? And that film for you, or what was that? Okay, well, that's a good question, and that's a fair question. And and I will admit, you know, a lot of people have called me out. Um, Willis Wheeler famously <laughs> has called me out on that movie. And, in fact, he just watched that this week, and, and he was reporting to me through text how much he thought it sucked and things. But the thing about Willis, and I just want to put this as a side note, I know he's your co-host and everything over there on Terror Troop. The thing about Willis is, I think that even if Willis would have liked that movie, he would have never admitted it to me because we fought about it so much. <laughs> but no, that's cool. I know a lot of people hate it. And honestly, I do think that part of it was the theater experience. Right. I, w- I was reading um, you know, Harry Knowles's book. It's called Ain't It Cool? And he was talking about the first time he saw the Godzilla remake that came out in like 1997. He saw it under the best of circumstances, and it was like this very cool thing. You know, and I won't take up the time here to describe it, but basically he had just the the most awesome screening experience. So he came out of that movie loving it. And I think that's partly what happened with me and in Insidious Chapter 2. Now, I'm not backing down on it because I do think it's a fun movie still, and yeah. I will watch it again one day because I want to see how it affects me without that crowd. But I, I think for me, I felt like that movie was trying to play by the rules at least i didn't feel like they were cheating jump scares like mm-hmm. like um you know there there's a scene in insidious chapter 2 involving a closet you know and 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 this kid, this kid sits up in his bed and he's worried about what's in his closet and that is that is classic fear especially childhood fear and and they really I mean, there are some scares that come out of that, at least for me. And it's like, I know this is kind of cliche and it's familiar, but it's like, okay, that's playing by the rules. But whereas in this thing, it's like in the quiet ones, you have scares that just come out of nowhere. And it's just like, they just want to wake you up. They just want to get you kind of jumping, you know, and, and, 
and I hate, you know, usually jump scares don't impress me, Levi. Usually I'm not like into those and usually they don't even affect me. I don't jump. This one had me jumping just because it was so loud and I was yeah. almost getting lulled in the theater. I, I did not sleep through this movie, but it was to the point where I was bored and relaxing to the point that I was going to go to sleep and then they would do the loud <laughs> jump scare. You know, and what you said about Insidious 2 playing by the rules does make sense to me. And that I think that's absolutely fair that that movie really does do that. Um, mm. This one does not. And that does clarify something for me. Okay. I, you're like, yeah. I you're, mean, like, you're like, now I think you're less of an idiot, Jay of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, that movie. And see, the thing is, too, is that it might be the reverse. If I were to watch The Quiet Ones at home... Whereas that's what I did with Insidious 2. I might have had more fun with that in the theater, you know, with a crowd there. Uh-huh. Um, in this case, when I went to the theater today, there was me and one person yeah. <laughs> in the theater. And, and how many people did you have uh, along with you on, on your ride today? <laughs> there were three other people, and those people looked as bored as I was. And they, oh, and I mean, I, I don't, I can't emphasize this enough. I am shocked at how just, terrible and and i know that terrible is just such a generic word and it's actually a little harsh but honestly it's accurate for this and and that leads me to my next question levi doesn't it seem like every like new major widespread release horror film in theaters doesn't it seem like they're all supernatural slash ghost slash haunting movies yeah and when i uh walked into this one today which don't get me wrong i I'm very excited to be going to new release horror movies and to have a reason to do so. Cause otherwise I wouldn't have seen this today, you know, but mm. I wanted to talk to you about it. I wanted to be here. I wanted to to see what this was about and to tell people about it. Cause I, I love to do that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I felt this sense of fatigue <laughs> where I, <laughs> I, I just, I felt like God, not another one. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not sure that this is going to do anything that the other ones haven't. And sadly, it it that's the thing that kind of sucks about this one for me is that it did have some pieces in place that could have been a lot of fun. You know, as far as the plot was going and that main character, she was fantastic. Olivia Cook is in Bates Motel mm-hmm. and she is my favorite character in that show other than Norman, <laughs> who is, you know, obviously a sicko but the poor kid's falling apart and this is his best friend in that show she is great yeah and she has the uh, oxygen tank on the show i know you have you haven't watched any of that yet have you i have not so it's really good um but she has a an oxygen tank and it's hooked up around her nose so you know she's got this tube around her face through the entire series so far and those great big brown sympathetic doe-like eyes and just the uh, innocent demeanor, you know, and it's not put on. She's just a genuinely nice girl, and you just have all of this sympathy for her. Even in this film, without that oxygen tube around her face, which can be really distracting, um, she has something about her, even just in, the well, the quiet moments in this movie. And <laughs> it's called The Quiet Ones, which is ironic, considering how noisy it is. But... um. <laughs> It she she really does make the most of every single scene that she's in, yes. and I wish that she had been surrounded by uh, better direction and some better choices. Because I mean, there was at least a semi decent backstory going on, like I said before, and 
it's just, uh, man, yeah, the whole ghost thing, it, unless you do it in a way that's that's unique, I mean, you can have the best backstory in the world, but unless you execute it properly, it's just not going to work. You're just going to have people, you know, sitting in the theater chowing on their popcorn like I was or falling asleep like you were. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but, but I will, I will, again, like I, I did not go to sleep. So I will say right. that like, I, and I confess when I do that, but yeah. And, and thank you by the way, for highlighting Olivia Cook's performance, because yes, we do have to give her props because that actress, she's really a nuanced actress. And for example, there are a few, moments in this film where she's required to like you know cry and and produce the the waterworks right there on the spot and and she nails it every time and there yeah. is a sensitivity to her performance that is tremendous because there are times when she can be uh i don't want to say scary but i will say <laughs> she can be a little bit um you know, threatening, I guess. Yeah. And other times she can be kind of um, diminutive or other times she can be seductive. I mean, so this actress is tremendous and I, I back you on that. But but let's look at the genre here that, and especially the new releases that have come out. Now, this film makes me feel bad about last time when we were on the show together and I was hard on Oculus. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, man... I was standing in the theater looking up at what was playing after this was over. And I'm like, I should have just seen Oculus again. <laughs> <laughs> I did think of Oculus too, man. Yeah. And and then also, and I have long since felt bad about this since we're confessing things here. Like, you know, I was, I was probably too hard on the conjuring. And now after seeing this movie, it's like, wow, I was way too hard on the conjuring. So, I mean, going back to like, the hunting in Connecticut. Um, let's see what are other. I mean, there are so many movies like this. What else has come out here that we've been reviewing? Um, um, the Last Exorcism. Yeah. Oh man. The Last Exorcism two. Yeah. Five Paranormal Activity movies. Right. Yeah. It's, um, it's just and and look how many of these movies. I mean, you have these same kind of tropes in it. You've always got like these these seance type scenes. It's like. And now that the Ghost Hunter um, TV shows and all this reality TV, now that that's so popular, it's like every single horror film that comes out has like they they have equipment where they're trying to like get paranormal readings and and you know measure brain waves and all this stuff. And it's like, man, I'm sick of that. It's like, I, yeah, I, it's like, why don't they give us a slasher or a beastly freak, please? Like just anything. Well, those different. couldn't possibly be full of tropes and redone over and over again. <laughs> That's going to get me to my point. Um, this movie set in 1974. They make a reference to The Exorcist. It does play around with old technology, which was interesting in spots as far as, you know, things just being different because it was 40 years ago. But really, there was no reason for it to be set back then other than they wanted to connect it to the end of Hammer yeah. in the past. Yeah. And I mean, granted, this movie is filled with British actors, and it has the hammer name, but really they're making the mistakes that American movies are making right now with all of the you know, the found footage stuff in this I thought was well done because the main guy was a cameraman and he was he was doing a good job for the most part. And going in and out of the film with his point of view and then the actual point of view of all the characters, I actually appreciated that. But 
um, this movie, you know, trying to modernize what was done 40 years ago with Hammer, but to not actually touch upon what they were really doing just doesn't, I don't know, it just kind of left that 40-year gap sitting there for me, where I was like, this isn't connecting the dots for me at all, you know, I don't see how the history of the studio is really informing anything you're doing here. And No way. No, and, and you know, fact, just to it, retread yeah. so much is just kind of embarrassing. Like, it's not the—I don't think it's the tropes that are the problem. It's what you do with them. And when you just have this decent story, which could have been so much better, and then just throw a bunch of sound effects on top of it, it just doesn't work. You can't make a PG-13 movie and expect people to show up. It just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, that's—I mean, that's a that's a problem as well. I agree with that, especially with the rating. But— um. Yeah. Uh, let's go but you've said so many th- great things right there right in a row i'm gonna address them one at a time so when you brought up the found footage now this is bizarre to me they actually took this film and, it, and it's actually a hybrid where they tried to i think shoehorn in found footage items it's like mm-hmm. a lot of the film is is shot conventionally like we're used to seeing where the shots are clear and steady and so forth but then because the lead character are protagonist i guess because he is um chronicling the thing you know we do have moments where we're seeing it through the camera and so forth and so i i thought that that was kind of bizarre it's like it's like uh, now we're putting found footage in movies just for the sake of having found (laughs) footage in there and it's like it isn't even the found footage premise as we have come to know it, this is just like they're slipping extra camera footage in there. And, and, and boy, I find that frustrating. Well, and, and then they go so far as to 99% of the way through the movie, I was thinking this is just above average. And then they throw in right at the end of the film a bit with the found footage where it breaks the fourth wall involving <laughs> this yeah. demon and then melting film. And I'm going, no, what are you doing? <laughs> you just broke the movie. What was actually working is just gone. Exactly. And yes. Killed it. <laughs> and, and for listeners who aren't aware, you know, I love that you brought that up. Um, breaking the fourth wall is when you know the, the film. Those in the film acknowledge the viewers. You know where it's like they actually, uh, well, not always address you, but you know you are you are recognized as a viewer of the film in one yeah. way or the other so it's like i got poked it's like that scene in gremlins 2 where the film rips but that was a satire and a comedy it works there right right exactly <laughs> you know i mean it was nonsense but in this case you know it just uh it was glaring like it didn't fit within the reality of the, the movie and it was just bizarre to me that they would actually make that choice but and and that brings me and speaking of choices i mean that brings me to my next complaint here which is um you know, I just want to say this. I know he doesn't care about me or what I think, in my opinion, does not matter. But but Jason Blum, buddy, I'm really starting to get ticked off at you a little bit. And Blumhouse Productions, I've been defending this production company. And lately, they've been just putting out stuff that's like, okay, guys, what are you doing? I mean, I'm getting really frustrated with this. I, I seriously am because when I see a movie that has Blumhouse Productions, it's BH Productions. I'm like, okay, this ought to be decent because he's been doing well. He had been doing good things, and then just lately, it's just like he's cranking them out, and it's the same stuff over and over. Do you feel well, that way or not? Well, I, I hope that that trailer for Jezebel, even though it's another supernatural film, I hope it's. I hope it, it indicates something decent. I mean, I, you know, when I watched that trailer, I thought, okay, that 
actresses not recognizable to me. And there was some really good spooky stuff going on there. Whereas when I saw the trailer for this one, I went, eh, you know, yeah. it's like, I, I think I've seen, I haven't even seen these movies that this is following and cause I don't want to watch them and here you're ripping them off, you know, uh, with Jezebel though, that, that has me seriously intrigued. Like I do want to watch that. And I thought that his, his name was on that one, but, um, I don't know, man. No one's going to have a perfect track record, and Hammer doesn't either. But this is this is not a good good trend to be following. Well, no. And, <laughs> I mean, I the thing is, I've been I've been really kind of celebrating this guy and and defending what he's doing. Right. But, but you know, looking looking at it here, I mean, it's just see, and he's famous for doing the um, you know, the productions that he. He brings in horror films that really don't cost very much at all, but then they make tons of money, you right. know, or relatively speaking. And, and you know, there were several of those that I, I really appreciated that he did. But, you know, just lately, though, I've been getting just discouraged. And I haven't heard back from him on Art the Clown yet. <laughs> so that also ticks me off. <laughs> that sounds really marketable. <laughs> I'm serious. Have you seen that yet? It may be awesome, but it did. That is not something I'm going to end up seeing on the big screen. I can tell by the title. Uh, well, it's All Hallows Eve is the as the movie, right? Oh, right, from, right. And, I did see that. <laughs> yeah, and then and then Art the Clown is the the monster in it. Such a freak! And now, did you think he was freaky? Yeah. Now, wouldn't you rather see that than um chickens getting an EKG? And, and and stuff. I don't know. It depends on the context of the chickens getting an EKG. I, I'm just saying. I mean, the last exorcism part too. I mean, they actually oh, had a scene oh man. where you you got to, you know, they're gonna beat the exorcism. But they're gonna beat it by using a chicken and an EKG. I mean, that was just the most ridiculous thing ever. Painful. But anyway, yeah, I mean, let's bring up something different like Art the Clown or something. But okay, well, well, how about this then, Levi? Here's what I want to know from you, buddy. Okay, so we've got this quote-unquote monster named, um, is it Evie? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got this monster that we don't see, but the movie is set up for us to be afraid of a baby doll. Right? I mean, the, the, there's an, there's a prop in this where she has this baby doll and she's like, pulling out its hair and stuff and and it's like are they seriously trying to scare horror fans with this baby doll and okay first of all <laughs> the, the baby doll was a vessel it was not the actual thing that we were supposed to be afraid of second right when i was seven i was watching that's incredible with kathy lee crosby do you do you remember that show i know of it yes okay i remember sitting in front of my aunt's black and white t television <laughs> and they were talking about a ghost haunting an attic and there was a naked baby doll sitting right in the foreground of this shot. And that thing's eyes opened. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, dude, I, I'm telling you, I was so terrified. Now, if something like that had happened in this movie, yeah, I'd be afraid of that doll. But yeah, I mean, the doll was just a vessel. It was just what she was supposed to be projecting everything onto. That was part of the experiment where, the scientist is telling her, okay, you know, this is what you need to focus on. This is what we need to be trying to um, have you focus this, what was it, the teleplasm? Yeah. You know, some nonsense somebody made up. Um, you need to focus all of, all of your bad negative energy or whatever into this doll so that we can 
pull it out of you and put it into something else. That, that's all that was. And, you know, honestly, the actual force itself, I do side with you in that there just was not enough buildup to that thing being something outside of her for mm-hmm. me to be afraid of it. You know, I was too focused on Jane Harper for Evie to seem like something scary. You know, the whole thing through this movie was you're supposed to be thinking about this girl being possessed, which made sense. But yeah, to make or- me scared of something outside of her while it's supposed to be inside of her and supposed to be driving it out, it didn't really make sense to me. Like, what? which one is it? You know, I mean, yeah, she's got all these bad things happening around her, but it's supposed to be inside of her. And she's not... This movie's kind of a mess, dude. <laughs> it, it is a mess. And that's what, I, you know, going back to my very first point at the beginning, I think that there were just too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. I think that they took that initial script from that guy. And again, I don't know this for a fact, but then I think that they had these script doctors come in and try to fix it. And it just ended up being this crazy screwed up vision. But I will say one last thing on that baby doll thing. It, I agree with your, the way you explained it was much clearer. Yeah, it was supposed to be used as this vessel. But, you know, the baby doll prop was meant to bring about some some creepiness or scariness. And they spent, they spent a significant amount of time with that thing. And I'm like, let's move away from the baby doll thing because this just isn't yeah. cutting it, you know. Like, they could have they could have done something with that and they did not. Right. I mean, the worst that they did was they had its eyes poked out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and I'll be honest with you. This and this is totally off the topic, but <laughs> my wife and I uh, decided that you know it'd be fun since my mom's kind of a hoarder, and she <laughs> she will not get rid of all this junk in her house. Um, she's not on the level of TV hoarders by far, nothing okay. like that. But okay. she has too much stuff. Uh, we we went to a, a discount store and we found the right doll, and um, with with our daughter helping us, we we mutilated this doll by burning its hair and messing it up real dirty and poking out its <laughs> eyes. And then my daughter used a black Sharpie to color the lips. And we took this doll with its nasty hair and its horrifying looks. And when my mom wasn't looking, uh, we went to her house to help her clean her porch off. Um, and while she was outside helping us do that, my wife went in and she planted this doll inside the house weeks ago. <laughs> We've not heard anything from her about this yet. This proves how much stuff she has around the house. <laughs> that is hilarious. You're evil. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my brother says. But <laughs> we are still waiting. And I just know that she, she maybe she's seen it and maybe she's stopped and thought, when did I buy this? <laughs> oh, that is so I, funny i can't wait to go to her house but it you know and see if it's still there but anyway yeah it's got nothing to do with anything but yeah i, I thought of that when i saw this doll with its eyes poked out it just reminded me of something funnier that we did well that that reminds me of a random story one time i was in this um goodwill type of store and i actually saw this this it reminded me of a puppet master doll to be honest with you i mean it had yes. that it had that look to it it was used and i should have bought it but it was so creepy <laughs> that i'm like i don't want that thing around my house to be honest with you so i think dolls can be scary but this one i i um i was, was trying plain. i was going <laughs> to buy it for greg amortis cuz he loves um puppet master series <laughs> and i was gonna send it to him but it was the time that um you know when he had moved you know to his new place and, and uh and so i kind of lost touch with him briefly there for a while but i, I should have gotten that and i always thought i should have sent that to greg Amortis and freaked him out because it was a scary <laughs> it was, doll 
Heck yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's hilarious to me. Um, what about the fist fights in this scene? I mean, we have, especially there's one very awkward, and I won't say who the characters are involved in it, but there's like, it's like, is this an action movie all of a sudden? There's like fist fighting, and it's ridiculous. It's it's filmed very yeah. poorly. Okay, you know, first of all, one of the characters was pretty strapping and young, <laughs> and then the other guy is old, and he's going to beat you down? Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's lame. I don't I, know. Yeah, I mean, this this <laughs> is it's just painful in a lot and of And then ways. the the blonde was doing the stereotypical I'm I'm kind of a whore thing. You yes. know, where she's you know, she's gonna be jealous over the attention that the possessed girl is getting. That was just utter nonsense to me. I couldn't I couldn't piece that together when she was crying in the bathtub over this girl who's actually sick getting attention from all the guys. That just did not work. I was thinking, you know, what would have been better is to just have, you know, especially since it's set in the 70s and that's when feminism was really uh, coming up and things were turning <laughs> around. You should have had a smart woman in this movie who was not so fixated on trying to use men for sex in order to make herself feel better or whatever the problem was. This movie didn't tell us really and it didn't really indicate anything. Just get a good, strong female character in there to counterpoint you know, Jane Harper in a better way instead of just having this yes. girl who's, you know, just sleeping around with two of that three guys and, you know, crying in a bathtub while she smokes a cigarette. <laughs> so and, stupid. And in fact, that's really funny you mentioned that, especially about the feminism stuff. They actually have her at one point utter the complaint that is so sexist. And that's just, <laughs> that is hilarious coming yeah. from a character, number one, in a horror film. But I mean, uh, it's just, it's hilarious. Like, well, I actually laughed out loud. The schoolgirl outfit she was wearing at one point. I'm thinking, if you want to avoid sexism, don't wear that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That actually made me laugh out loud. And it's not, you know, I don't consider myself sexist or chauvinist or whatever, but man, right. that was lame and, and funny. But yeah, we should warn the listeners about that part too. I mean, this character's name is Chrissy, and she's played by Aaron Richards. And I'm sure the listeners, Probably a lot of them will feel she's easy on the eyes, so to speak. And, you know, that's another betrayal here to the Hammer name because, you know, this Chrissy character doesn't follow the same sort of, um, shall we say, Hammer <laughs> treatment that a lot of other Chrissy types have in the past, no. right? <laughs> so, no. So anyway, I, you know, I just put that out there for people and you can read what you want into that. So... Um, and if it's a hook for you, there's next to no real gore in this movie. Um, there's a little bit of blood towards the end, but not much. And honestly, the the bit with Telplasm it's seen in the trailer is probably one of the cooler parts of the movie, even though it's still CGI goofiness. Um, and, and it's it was like, kind of, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it was it was a little disgusting, and I you know I kind of like the sound effect more than the actual visual. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's like the only scene like that. And and that brings yeah. me back to in, oh. in The Haunting in Connecticut, you had tons of that, you know, at least in the first one. I didn't see the second one yet, but in the first one, um, you had tons of that stuff. And now you have it once in this film and like they're done. It's like, yeah, the, in, in terms of horror imagery, there is not a lot to this film. I mean, this is the kind of movie where it's like it's what's in your mind is supposed to affect you more than what you're actually shown. And and in terms of kills, so to speak, like quote unquote kills, there are kills in the movie, 
but the, you know instead of like spreading them out they all you know come toward the end and they're all kind of right. lumped together and i'm like that is also um very bad form for a horror yeah, film yeah absolutely and you know it's not as if somebody could have died in the middle of the film and then had them push forward anyway it didn't happen and the the house itself had there was no atmosphere like the director he he managed to wring absolutely nothing out of his set. There was uh, just nothing there to feed the imagination to make us feel frightened. I mean, the closest you get to scary in that house is when they go up the stairs in the dark and they're wandering around in the dark, bumping into crap, <laughs> <laughs> causing more loud noises, and you know, which is supposed to make me jump. But yeah, there was just nothing here to uh, nothing here to get under my skin at all, as far as the the way everything looked and the way everything felt. Okay. Well, well said. I think I hope at least that people are getting the picture on this and and I'll just say this as we start to wrap up. I've rented some Redbox movies that were more entertaining. <laughs> and, oh. and, and people know out there how much I hate a lot of that a lot of the low budget Redbox horror. But are you uh, just bemoaning the Redbox films in the last episode and talking about giving that up? <laughs> I know, but now it's like, well, maybe I better go back to that if we're going to keep getting this crap in the theater. But anyway, so let's wrap up with our um, final thoughts, your verdict, and then your rating. Go ahead, The Unknown Murderer. Well, you have made some really good points and helped clarify some things for me that I didn't quite put together Um you know, it it was there for me when I was watching the film, but it didn't gel afterwards. There were some things I didn't remember that you made some sense out of that have dragged this rating even lower down to a 3.5. Uh, I was at an average rating before the ending of the film, which totally blew it for me anyway. And I was going under a five, but now... Uh, yeah, I'm down to a 3.5 on this one. <laughs> and so is that is that an avoid? It is an avoid. I, I wouldn't bother. I would actually suggest going through your old movies and trying to find something that you may have forgotten that you, that you own. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe the dorm that dripped blood, for example. I would. Well, not that. <laughs> but maybe go find Martin or something. <laughs> oh, this movie, The Quiet Ones. Okay, listeners, The Quiet Ones is currently playing in theaters. It just released this weekend. To me, it is unsatisfying in every single way i was utterly bored it was drudgery and i'm not even kidding i had trouble getting through the movie not just staying awake but just like making myself sit there in the theater and keep watching it and and that's saying a lot to me i mean this is just i think it's abysmal i think it's one of the worst films of the year period that i've seen and if you'll remember i gave like jan jan gel like a two or something so yeah. <laughs> this is a three out of 10 and I'm saying avoid this. Even if you get a free rental on Redbox, you know, you get those texts where you can get a free rental. Don't do it. It's a waste of time. <laughs> dude, I ought, I ought to watch Jan Gale now just so I can tell you I'd rather watch a fat hairy dude wrestle with a rubber snake than watch the quiet ones. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is more entertaining. I will say that. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's our review of The Quiet Ones, and let's move into another little bonus. I got two little bonus reviews here for the listeners because they're just awesome, so let's do it. Now, this one, there is a film that was sent to me by uh, one of our listeners named Scott. He's a good friend of mine now, and 
Scott was talking about the films that he remembers scaring him most. And there was a horror film from the 70s called The Evil. Now, it came out in 1978, and I'm not sure if I... I'm not sure whether you got a chance to see this one or not, Levi. Did you? I watched 10 minutes of it. <laughs> okay. okay. I, I have... And, and I apologize. I, I had a really horribly busy week, and I chose not to watch it. When I saw Richard Crenna watch it, walking around with a beard, acting all self-important with a, a hot young wife, <laughs> and then a, a couple of planks fell out of the uh, fell out of the ceiling and hit him on the head, I went, "Nah, I don't think I'm going to watch this." <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I, I totally understand, and um, I'm with you actually. Now, see. My my friend was kind enough. It's it's really nice. He sent me a DVD, and it's a uh, Roger Corman's cult classics double feature. And this DVD comes with The Evil and a movie called Twice Dead. And so, just reading the premise here for those who aren't familiar with it, psychologist C.J. Arnold, played by Richard Crenna, and his wife Caroline, played by Joanna Pettit, buy a dilapidated historical mansion with a dark past in hopes of transforming the estate into a drug rehabilitation clinic with the help of some of his students and current patients. And when he opens a secret door in the basement of the house, Arnold inadvertently releases a malevolent presence. And um, I'll just leave it there. And that's kind of the premise to this. So this is, like I said, 1978. And um, I believe One Sick Puppy found a free version of this. I I think it's on YouTube, right? The entire film. Is that probably there are so many good movies on YouTube? Yeah, there there are, and this isn't one of them. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. Now I will say, and, and and here's I'm gonna get a little bit controversial again, and you're probably gonna get mad at me, but I I just can't help it. So you remember our discussion of the haunting, right? The one from back in the 1963. I got some news for you, Jay. <laughs> I, I rented that one a few months ago and I tried to watch it and I got about 10 minutes in and I went, man, this isn't going to scare me. And then I sent it back to Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and that's exactly what I said. And I got jumped like Josh, Wolfman Josh and Dr. Shock and a few of the listeners were really mad at me for saying I yeah. didn't think the haunting was scary. So, so you know what? The unknown murderer, you actually, it sounds like you agree with me more than you thought you did. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a good movie, but I looked at it and I thought, dang it, if I'd seen this when I was seven or eight years old, maybe even 10, when I was starting to already become a little jaded by all the gory movies I'd seen, then yeah, it might have got me, but it just was not going to fly for me at that particular time when I'm a grown up and I, you know, I'm in movies 50 years old. Now, I like Nosferatu. I got to tell you, I do like it, but I haven't finished that either. Oh, you haven't finished it? Well, no. Okay, well. I, everybody's probably going to think I'm just coming on your show kissing your butt, and I'm not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I bust your chops on the forums all the time. You I, do. <laughs> you Yeah, you give me lots of grief. So, like, yeah. you. Yeah, you it, <laughs> I did want to point these out because, yeah, it just not working for me either. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, here's the thing about The Haunting. It's very well made, but I think it's it's for it has affected people and scared people at the time in their life when baby dolls were scary to them, like you said, when they're seven or eight. And I think that's the thing with The Haunting. And Scott, who sent me The Evil, he was one of the people who was on my case about that one. 
and <laughs> and that's the Robert Wise film from 1963, of course. And and in The Haunting, it just doesn't seem scary, you know, watching it in this day and age. And I just think that there are certain films that if you if you're scared when you're younger, there's this like this nostalgia scare factor. It does it, it, stick. It always seems scary to you, and it always sticks. Yeah. So, and I think maybe that's what happened with my friend Scott when he watched The Evil. Um, you know, he wasn't quite that young when he watched it, but I think that, you know, we live in a different time uh, in terms of like the content that we're shown in horror films. I mean, this, The Evil actually seems like a great pick if you want to like, you know, if you're graduating your, your child that you're trying to get into horror, like if, if you got a young person and like, if they're like, you know, 10 or 11, then the evil might be something to show them for like a 10 or 11 year old, you know, but for some hardened, like, you know, sicko, like the unknown murderer, for example, (laughs) (laughs) I can't see this doing it for you. Cause like, for me, I'm just like, well, this is awfully, you know, benign (laughs) to say the least. But anyway, this is one of those, you know, it's another supernatural type movie, it's kind of like, you know, you could even call it a haunted house movie, perhaps. It's got that element in it, too. And, you know, it's along the same lines. I mean, you've got this big, giant house that, that, that as I read in the description, they come and they try to restore it. And it's there's some evil there in the house, yeah. and, and as the title suggests. And... You know, the things that happen, I mean, there are, a, I will give it credit on a couple of things. Um, there are a couple scenes where characters are burned to death. And, you know, these are intense. I mean, they rival like, you know, what we saw in, oh man, <laughs> come on, the camp movie where they play, play the the burning. <laughs> How did I forget that title? All of a That's hilarious. That was, that's the way it's describing the verb you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That movie's called the burning. And so just like that sequence. So you had, um, two characters that actually were lit on fire. And one of them, there's like hanging midair on a rope and falls in flames to the ground. And it actually looks pretty good. And, and, um, I read in the trivia, that the stunt guy that did the fire stunts for that movie was Buddy Joe Hooker. He's had like a lot of stunts he did. And he actually got part of his face burned from performing at least one of those stunts. And so, yeah, this movie is one of those that came with a price. But, um, you know, there's that. Another interesting thing that I, I guess I should note about The Evil is Joanna Pettit, who plays the lead girl, the love interest, she was actually one of the last people to see actress Sharon Tate alive. And um, yeah, she was the actress that was murdered by um, the Manson gang. And so she saw her that, that day, but uh, that was just kind of weird. And the other thing about that same actress is, um, you know, if you read a little bit about her personal life, it's kind of interesting. And, and so that, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I was doing while watching the film. I was looking up trivia and stuff like that because <laughs> You know, like I said, it's not super engaging. You do get a lot of apparition scenes where you see these ghostly figures. And a lot of these were done, the special effects were done in camera. But, you know, you don't have, it, it's not overly intense. Like there's electric electrocution scene and 
stuff like that, but nothing, you know, overly crazy. And then when you get to the end, which I won't, will not spoil, but when you get to the end and you face the evil, you know, the main evil, <laughs> um, <clears throat> that becomes almost kind of like, I don't want to say laughable, but it reminds me a little bit of the Muppet show. And I can't even, I can't even say why then describe it because it would kind of spoil it. But yeah, you end up with the embodiment of the evil and I'm like, what are we doing right now? This is so weird. And you may, you're making me want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> that is not my objective. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, uh, you know what is scarier that reminds me of the Muppet Show is is Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh yeah, <laughs> tell them Large Marge <laughs> that's, sent you. That's seven or eight years old, and then having something stick with you that still spooks you a bit. Yeah, yeah, Large Marge kind of freaked me out when I was young. Absolutely. Right. You know what? You know what movie scary for a seven or eight year old, and also for a grown up is the Changeling. Oh yeah, yeah. The movie's freaking spooky. George C. Scott, I highly not Angelina Jolie. Right. George C. Scott, also Maniac. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried to I tried to watch that for the first time as a grown up, and I I got through the first five minutes, and I was so upset by that killing on the beach that I couldn't watch it the first time I tried. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm not totally sick. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I I forced myself to come back to it, and I said, No, I have to do this horror cred. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, but <laughs> oh, it was really good. But I back yeah. I back Levi here what he's saying. So listeners, in case you missed that, so he recommended the Changeling, which I totally agree. That's from 1980, starring George C. Scott, and also from 1980, the original Maniac, starring <laughs> not Joe Spinell. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's not supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> what? Some wacko in in dirty old seedy New York is scalping girls. <laughs> that's right, and it's yeah. awesome. And it's yeah, so good. It, it is disturbingly awesome. But the changeling, I saw that when I was about seven or eight years old and it spooked me bad. And, you know, I was, I was hoping to throw that out there and, and have you say, yeah, no, that is scary because I watch it now and it still gets to me the same way. And I honestly do believe it's because that movie's just good, but it is just good. And in fact, I was talking to somebody just a few months ago about that one. And yeah, that does, that still affects adults. So yeah, if you haven't seen the changeling, definitely check that out but in terms of the evil i i want to thank scott i don't want to seem like an ingrate i'm grateful i'm, I'm gonna check out the end of it <laughs> well yeah the, i am <laughs> okay that muppet sounds great uh, i just i mean it's totally you know i don't know if anybody here remembers the episode where alice cooper is on the muppets but <laughs> i was scared by that <laughs> I swear, I was just telling someone a week ago about how Alice Cooper freaked me out in that. <laughs> well, it is along those lines. It's a mix between that and Boss Hog. Let me just say that. And that's what you got in The Evil. And um, so, anyways, this is very, very mild 70s horror. As I said, this is, you know, show this to your 11-year-old, and it probably will freak them out a little bit. But it's pretty slow, and it's kind of cheesy. But the biggest weakness to the evil, honestly, is just the pacing. Um, because what will happen is it'll finally start rolling. And, you know, there'll be some kills and, and things will happen. And then they'll kind of reconvene again at the fireplace and discuss what happened. It's like they keep meeting back for this little powwow and discussing, well, what do we think it is now? And it's like, what are you doing? You're killing the pace of this movie. And so, 
The Evil from 1978 is a 4 out of 10, and I say avoid it. So there you go. All right. (laughs) So now I got a gem. This is an this is a bonus bonus little gem here because I saw that this movie was streaming on Netflix Watch Instantly and I was so happy. Levi, have you seen Mountaintop Motel Massacre from 1986? I was watching a bit of that last week thinking I got to get to this sucker. (laughs) You were watching some of it? Yeah, I was kind of flipping through it. It was one of the uh, it's on my to do list. Oh, yes, yes. Now, see, this is going to be one of those movies we were talking about in the beginning. What were you saying? There are films that you kind of defend that other people just aren't into them that much. Um, and, and maybe this is one for me, but this is this is an 80s slasher. And our buddy Boss Butcher, I know, loves this. Mm-hmm. We, we actually ended up talking about this film. It was given a little bit of treatment there on the that episode the best horror movies of the 1980s and 90s and so um we mentioned this there but yeah it's currently streaming on netflix watch instantly and i just want to tell people right now i'm going to try to i'm going to try to sell this from the bottom of my heart here um this is a special little film because number one it captures that 80s magic okay you know what i'm talking about the the magic that's in 80s horror that nostalgic feeling it's kind of weird it's kind of kooky it's a little bit creepy because you remember being creeped out by 80s films you know it's a slasher uh, are you are you with me on this levi or not oh absolutely i you know i was just uh kind of soaking in what you're saying cuz man that's uh that's, that's what I look for. That's, you know, I, I try to head that direction and just flipping through this movie just a little bit, you know, just skipping through it to see if this was something I wanted to check out. I, I noticed some interesting frame composition and stuff going on with little bits of action moving in a tiny bit of the frame, like with the snake crawling along underside of a bed. And I noticed yes. it was just kind of crawling along in the bottom left side of the screen. And I thought, well, that's really creative for some cheesy little low-budget movie that I'm not sure anybody's actually seen because I've never heard of it. Oh, man. To me, the, I'll just say it right now. This is like, this is a gem. It's one of those like obscure, like this would be if if I had a genie in a bottle, right? And and I got several wishes. I, I probably wouldn't use this in my top three wishes, but I would love to go see this on the drive-in screen. I mean, this is a drive-in movie gem. And so that that probably tells people a little more about it too. But the premise to this is this woman named Evelyn, okay, she she was just released from the insane asylum in Arkansas. So she was in the Arkansas State Mental Hospital and she was admitted in 1978 and then she was released in 1981. And so this movie takes place, the story is set in 1981. And it was actually, just a little side note on that, this was going to be released around like 82 or 83, actually, I think it was, 83. And what happened was, it was initially called Mountaintop Motel, I guess. And then later on, let's see, who who was it that grabbed I looked up this, yeah, okay, here it is. New World Pictures 
added on the massacre to the title, which was a, a masterstroke. That was absolutely brilliant to do that. Yeah. And good, then it became yeah. <laughs> then it became Mountaintop Motel Massacre, and I think that's really smart. But anyway, um, <clears throat> this is this is seriously um. I mean, if you look at the cover, I, I bet people are pulling this up on IMDb, and please don't be discouraged because when you look at when you pull it up on IMDb, it's like, oh, okay, this is he's trying to trick us into another Jan Gal experience, right? The, <laughs> the, the cover art on this is terrible, and then the tagline is, "Please do not disturb Evelyn; she already is," right? <laughs> so, so when you when you read that tagline and. And, and you look at the cover, you're like, I'm not watching this, right? But no, you got to watch it because let me just try to sell people. Number one, she has this daughter and her name is Laurie. And the daughter is honestly the creepiest part of the film for me because her mom is clearly nuts and her mom is starting to relapse back in. And, and so her daughter has this little room in the basement and Speaking of Maniac, do you remember how Joe Spinell's apartment was decorated in Maniac? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was very freaky production design. Well, this is like literally twice as freaky. Like really? there's some artwork in this movie. Like they have these drawings hanging everywhere that supposedly this daughter Lori had done. And um, there's this one of this, the best way to describe it, they show it several times. It's like a demon pig and it's done in black magic marker. And it is, it is actually kind of unsettling. And I'm like, how is this cartoon character, you know, freaking me out right now? But it is. That's great. And her room is like, it's got baby dolls around, but it's way more effective than the quiet ones. And it's got like the, like a red light and she's got all these freaky kinds of animals, poisonous snakes and lizards and stuff. So the girl is way weird and um, it's very cool. So anyway, she's in the basement and, and she performs some kind of little chants or rituals. You don't know for sure if she's like a devil worshiper or what she is. But anyway, she's the highlight of the film for me. But then you have this hotel that's called the Mountaintop Motel, actually. And, and they start, um, it's way out in the wilderness of um, Arkansas. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm kind of rambling here, Levi, so forgive me, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get out this movie as best I can. So basically, she starts attracting, slowly accumulating, you know, customers who stay at the motel. So in a, in a big way, this movie is like um, an inbred sister film <laughs> to uh, Motel Hell. And, yes. and I think it would be the coolest thing. If people haven't seen that, what you do is get a double feature courtesy of Jay of the Dead and rent Motel Hell and watch that first and then watch Mountaintop Motel Massacre and you will be very pleased, I think. Um, there was another motel movie I thought of and it wasn't Psycho, but it was another one that came to mind when I was watching this um, that I thought would make a great triple feature if you really wanted to get, <laughs> like if you wanted to get way nuts um, what was it? Come on. It'd be like a crazy old people trifecta. Yeah, it is kind of like that. But, um, what was the other old people movie? I'm so mad that I, I've forgotten what it is. Cause I, I actually wrote it down. I got nothing. Huh? Well, if it comes to me, I'll tell you guys what the third <laughs> part of it is. But anyway, um, so in this movie, she starts slowly, uh, you know, 
getting these people to come and stay at this place. And it's actually really, um, the, the way it's set up, they're like these little tiny cabins, like individual cabins on this property. So like, instead of having a hotel room, you rent cabin one and cabin two. And um, the look of these <laughs> is, it's just so trashy and so awful. And it's like, <laughs> was this a real place? I mean, did somebody actually work there? I mean, I don't know. It's just disturbing. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to uh, do any set design. We'll just uh, use it as is. <laughs> I know. That's good. Yeah, it is kind of like that. Um, and, and one last thing on the, the daughter that I forgot to mention. She does do this thing where she whispers, Mama. Like that, and I'm like, and I thought, Mama, that movie that came out last year was the first <laughs> horror movie that did that. But um, I think, I think maybe they got their inspiration from this one because she does that quite a bit in that. She goes, Mama, <laughs> like that. I just good. Love it. I love I, that. There's lots of us that are afraid of our mamas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's very um very upsetting as well. And 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 actually, and I won't give any spoilers, but the the relationship with the mom and Laurie in this. And the mom is the nutcase. She is the slasher character. She's the killer. And by the way, her weapon that she wields is a sickle, which is pretty uh-huh. interesting, especially for like this, you know, this older lady. She she looks pretty harmless, but this actress <laughs> does a tremendous job, you know, portraying a nutcase. Like her performance, I actually would say, is um pretty strong even though it's a little bit campy, but it's like campy to a, to a good degree. I'll just say that. And, um, anyway, I, I hope people don't feel like I'm rambling on too much, but I actually got a lot to say about this way more than I had to say about the quiet ones. <laughs> but yeah, shout out though to Anna Chappelle, who is, um, the character who played Evelyn, who's the murderer. But anyway, um, moving on down, you got this guy in here. One of the actors is named Vernon, and he is an actor who has been, he actually ended up having a pretty remarkable stunt career. He's a stunt man, and his name is Greg Bazell. That's his real name. And he's in this movie, and I, I actually, it was neat to see all the stuff that he's been in. And he does some acting still once in a while, but his his performance is pretty terrible, to be honest with you. But he was actually in a movie um, called Autopsy from 2008. Um, now, did you did you get a chance to see that? It was one of those um, after dark picks, yeah, or, or one of the films to die for, or something like that. Yeah. I don't know what I yeah, I recognize the title, but I have not seen it. Okay, well, if anybody gets a chance, like um, that one is definitely worth your time. It's pretty good. It's like a a six point five out of ten. And I just, I wanted to bring it up because I always kind of forget about it, but um, I'll just put it in the middle of this review here. Um, Autopsy is about, the these people are in this car accident during Mardi Gras. It's three men and two women. And they're admitted into this Louisiana hospital to have their non-life-threatening injuries treated by a life-threatening hospital staff. And man... This has some serious surprises in it, and so I definitely want to recommend that to people, especially if you like violent movies, gory movies, and um, it has some good scares in it, too. So anyway, that this Vernon guy, that character is in that movie as well, so that's what brought that up. Anyway, so I'll just keep on cruising along. I think the problem with this movie, though, Mountaintop Motel Massacre, the problem is we don't, 
We don't spend enough time with the Evelyn character, the slasher character. She's she's mysterious, but she's kind of like I don't know. It's like she's kind of off in the off in the distance, and we actually spend more time with setting up the individuals who come to stay at the the motel. Mm, and like we, the the two old dudes that I saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so you, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, the two old dudes, and one of them's a black guy, right? Yeah, they have me intrigued. <laughs> That's right. Yeah the 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 black guy is um he's a journeyman character, and then the other guy is a reverend. He's a preacher, and um they become buddies in the movie, and it's pretty cool. But um yeah, so these these characters that come to stay are actually kind of interesting. But we spend a lot of time with them, and and honestly, this kind of has in one way it's similar to the quiet ones where they they you know, we have kills at the beginning and then there's a long drought of kills and they kind of save them all for the end. And it would have been way better. And this movie is structured such that she could have just spread them out throughout the movie. And it would have been way up in the like eight to 10 range had they done that. But, oh, I remembered the third movie, Levi. And I'm sorry to keep rambling. I'm going to wrap this up pretty soon because I feel like I'm just talking. <laughs> no your, worries. You're like, Jay of the Dead had me on this podcast just to talk my leg off. But um, <laughs> no, the third one is Eaten Alive, right? Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. So that's a good time. So, yeah, if you guys get a chance doing all three of these movies, because that's another kind of movie where he has people come and stay. And this is the one not from 1980. But it's the one from 1977 starring Neville Brand. So that's a great triple feature. Anyway, I I really encourage people to check this out. Like I said, you got nothing to lose. It's currently streaming on Netflix. Watch instantly. And um, on Rotten Tomatoes, this guy named AJ Verser said that this killer was a cross between Carrie's mother and Mrs. Voorhees. And I think that's very accurate. So... Anyway, I'm going to close out this show tonight. The The very end of the show, I'm going to close it out with the ending music at the end of the film. Just a little sample of it, at least, and in hopes of reminding you about Mountaintop Motel Massacre in hopes that you'll check it out. But for me, honestly, even though it's kind of slow and dead in the middle, this is still a 6 out of 10, and, and this is... And I never do this, but if if I ever find this, this is a buy. I mean, for me, I mean, <laughs> for, for most people, it's rent it. But honestly, this is one of those that you'd want to have in your collect collection, even though it's not super great cinema. But I think it's a very cool 80s slasher. So Mountaintop Motel Massacre from 1986. There you go. Are you are you going to watch it now, Levi? I need to watch that. I need to stop putting it off. Brother, seriously? If you're awake enough when we're done, because we're going to wrap this up, I'd encourage you to go watch it right now. I think you'll be happy. Like, <laughs> I'm married. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know what that means. So <laughs> I get up, I get up early to watch movies. <laughs> Me too, brother. That's what I do that too. So absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks for letting me ramble on so much there. I think we can wrap up the show now, but I do want to give an announcement on One Sick Puppy's behalf. He says that the iTunes winner, because he was watching the reviews there, he says it looks like SASPA or C-A-Z-C-P-A <laughs> got got the first, you know, beast from the East comment. And so, oh. 
this this person is going to be winning the Jan Gell <laughs> DVDs from One Sick Puppy. So um, the person whose name is C-A-Z-C-P-A, just send me an email at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and give me your address and we'll, um, One Sick Puppy will mail that out to you right away. And um, just want people to know that we're up now on the Windows Marketplace. That thing that One Sick Puppy was encouraging me to get us in, we are now there officially, so check that out. <laughs> and otherwise, I think that wraps up episode 15 of Horror Movie Podcast. We're so grateful that you guys stuck with us and listened to our show. And I want to thank my good friend here, the unknown murderer, Levi Olson. Um, thank you for being here. And uh, Levi, why don't you give us your final thoughts, any words you have, or any plugs for the listeners? Yeah, um, this week, for uh, plugs for me, I'm going to be on Land of the Creeps talking about the remake of We Are What We Are and Humanoids from the Deep from 1980. <laughs> nice. That's uh, a naughty movie, so it gets a little weird. It's a lot of fun. We we laugh a lot through that one. And then, and then on Terror Troop, uh, Boss Butcher and I will be talking about Criminally Insane, as we mentioned earlier. But uh, that one, uh, we I think we laugh nonstop for about 45 minutes talking about that film because it is hilarious. Nice. And, uh, Highly recommend checking those out, but um, dude, seriously, thank you for having me on the show. I have been listening for a couple of years, and I've just absolutely loved listening to you every week. And seriously, if I don't have some kind of Jay of the Dead fix, <laughs> I start to sweat a bit, and I'm just a little bummed. Hey, you know, and I do move on, but yeah, I've just absolutely appreciated everything that you've done over the last couple of years, putting out good shows and just entertaining everybody. Well, thank you. I'm flattered. And, and you know, I right back at you because, you know, you guys have been very supportive and the listener comments and especially your voicemails. I love getting those. And, and seriously, I meant it what I said at the beginning of this portion tonight. Uh, Levi, we're going to be stepping it up on this show and trying to do, do an even better job. So um, I'm just really grateful for everybody's patience along the way. But, but yeah, keep sending us your comments and, and voicemails just like Levi does. And, you know, it's not scary, is it, Levi? You can leave a voicemail and it's no big deal, right? No. And, and dude, I love listening to voicemails. And, you know, honestly, you know, if you got something to say, anything, just call in. It is so much fun to listen to that. And I I don't know, you know, what's, if, if you're afraid of, of calling in and not, you know, just hearing your own voice, dude, I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> Well, but yeah. dude, I call in because I just I want to talk to somebody about horror and we would love to hear from you. So, you know, just give it a shot. And, you know, the more that you do it, the easier it gets too. absolutely. Yeah. And if you're if your call is like two minutes or less, you know, I always I always do a little bit of editing for you. you know, so so if you're worried about calling in and worried about pausing or stuttering or whatever, don't sweat it. I, I'll clean it up a little bit for you. So call in at eight zero one. 382-8789 and just leave us a message there. And um, you can find all our episodes at horrormoviepodcast.com, including our archive for the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. You can subscribe free in iTunes. We're also on the Zoom Windows Marketplace thing. And we're on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast. Now, uh, I want to thank Frederick Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song, and also, at the beginning of this episode, um, we were sporting the old school themed to the weekly horror movie podcast. And once again, that was Frederick Ingram as well. 
So you can find Fred's music and including the theme music to our our show at frederickingram.com. So go check him out. He's a great guy. Um, you can find Wolfman Josh on Movie Podcast Weekly with me. And Josh also runs Movie Streamcast. And you can follow him on Twitter at Icarus Arts. And then Dr. Shock, of course, is on Land of the Creeps, uh, which is another awesome horror movie podcast with Greg Amortis and Haddonfield Hatchet. Those guys are just awesome. And if you guys out there, listeners, if you find any scary dolls, mail them to Greg Amortis. (laughs) (laughs) Or me. I can put them in my mom's house. Yeah, yeah. Mail them to Levi and he'll put them (laughs) in his mom's house. That's really kind of hilarious to me. And um, you can find Dr. Shock at dvdinfatuation.com where he has one of the very best film blogs on the internet. And he's also on Twitter at dvdinfatuation. And we encourage you to check out our friends over there at Terror Troop, as well as Land of the Creeps, of course, and The Resurrection of Zombie 7 with Ron Martin. And of course, um, the Dead as Hell horror podcast with one sick puppy over there. It'd be awesome. And I think that's it. We'll have all this linked in the show notes for episode 15. And I still need to get the information from the previous episode in the show notes. I've been swamped. But um, Levi, once again, just thanks for catching the quiet ones and watching that and helping me review that. Because I probably would have struggled giving a review of it without you. talking to you made it worth it <laughs> oh thanks buddy i feel <laughs> at least there's that <laughs> i feel the same way about you too buddy all right well i think that's it for episode 15 so we thank you for listening and you can join us again in two weeks for horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies